Hello and welcome to the Lost Art Podcast. I'm Gar and I'm here with Helmet. How are you? This week we're we're tackling something big. Very big. Too big. It was a small idea that turned so into big. something mammoth. <laughs> we're going to do Lost Songs. These are songs that were either... There's two, there's two ways we're going about this. Um, I picked songs that got lost for whatever reason, like actually lost, and then came, made, made a comeback yeah. into the public sphere or whatever like that. And we also picked, I think you might especially have picked a couple of songs that just you have, figure just fell through the cracks yeah. that should have yeah. really... Uh, are, are, Reasonably important songs for one reason or another. But the, the, Yeah, but you, you're just unearthing some gems, mm. which is uh, the two types of thing we're doing with lost songs. So songs that actually got physically lost yeah. for whatever reason, and then other things that got kind of just lost in the ether. So um, oh, oh, I'm sweating. sweating. You're you panicking know, over it. I'm panicking for the t- because I don't like the fact that sometimes I'm going to sound like I'm reading off a thing. But there's so much information. How like, many pages? Tell them how many pages and notes you've done for this podcast. I'll take away those ones. I think there's maybe seven pages for this one alone. Do you know what I had? I, I didn't. I I knew a lot about the stories, about the things I'm going to talk about. Yeah. But I I wanted to get. I wanted to do them justice. Yeah. Because some of these stories are something that I never really properly looked into. Like if I was talking in the pub, I could go, "Oh, did you hear that that mm. thing?" Um. That. But I, I didn't. But the problem is, I started to read almost too much into them. I didn't realize there was the meat that was involved. So this is going to be. Strap yourselves in, lads. It's going to be a fucking right hefty enough one. Before we go into it, I want to yeah. say. Searching for Sugar Man is the idea mm. that we're going for. It's not on the podcast. Everybody, I think, knows the movie at this stage, Searching for Sugar Man. A fantastic album or artist that went list- yeah. missing and kind of came back through record collectors and stuff like that. Yeah, and that, you got a big boost off that uh, the, the documentary. The that documentary, Searching for Sugar Man, yeah. A couple yeah, years ago, yeah. which is actually a great documentary. It's brilliant. Now, I love this kind of thing, which is why I wanted to do a podcast on it. It's just a big joint pain in the arse. Mm. We could have broken this up over the we'll, we'll see how we get on anyway. Um, a couple of ones I did find before we go into the choices. Uh, little things like U2. Johnny recently, uh, I think it was only last year, there was two U2 songs found on really? tape from a gig that they did in um, the Dandelion Market, which mm. is Stevens Green now, I think, isn't yep. it? Or else it's the Dan- Club Dandelion that was there. That's um, where the Dandelion Club is called, yeah. Dandelion, yeah. So one of the bands that were supporting them in 1979... When they were getting spat on. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, they were quite a joy division. Were they getting spat on then? Yeah, because the, the, the Dandelion was mostly used for punk bands. Well, the, yeah, well, punk the, well, these songs are a bit punky. Well, they're, they sound they're a, raw. They sound a little bit, a bit joy division-y. The, the, song, the band they were uh, supporting recorded them and had it on tape. And, mm. uh, they're called the Struders. And the two U2 songs that were found are called In Your Hand and Concentration Camp. And they're no use, so don't bother. Yeah. Which is a, a, a funny enough story I found that, that was found. Another one that was very interesting is that there is 150 tapes featuring 700 songs by Tin Lizzy really? out there 700 songs or song sketches or ideas over 150 tapes that have been stored for 30 years by a friend a, life, a friend of the life filling it who who kept them until he didn't I don't think he wanted to give them he just didn't want them to see them you know thrown yeah. out and shitty but then I think someone put out a box set at that remastered a few years ago someone put out a box set of Tin Lizzy stuff I wasn't really t- I'm not a massive Tin Lizzy fan I just found this yeah. bit interesting and when the guy heard this he goes okay maybe this crowd could do this well so the 700 songs have been handed over really? and they are still being worked on well now I don't know what they're going to find and the band the, the rest of the Tin Lizzy band members some of them have been involved in 
siphon, yeah. siphoning through these. Interesting. I, uh, I, so I think it was supposed to be this year. Uh, sorry, it was supposed to be 2017 that we're supposed to get something. Mm, so it's still being worked on. Yeah. That'll be a good one to have I, Aaron and he'd probably know more about I that. I have a little Tin Lizzy story. About seven years ago, I was in a charity shop and I was in an Oxfam charity shop and this would have been just before the big, massive resurgence of uh, people buying records. Yeah. And I was rooting around in the charity shop, which I used to do, just look for records. I still do it, but not as much as I used to. I used to do it twice a week. Now maybe once or twice a month. But I found a little seven-inch single case um, that one of the guys behind the counter had literally just put out that morning. Like, they went into the back. They, yeah. All these charity shops have, like, a storeroom, and they just, every day, every second day, they pull some bullshit out. And there's a seven-inch single case. He dumped it out in the counter, and uh, I went over, popped it open, and I was going through. It was maybe ten, seven inches in there. And it was all, you know, the knack, my Sharona, the yeah. usual shite you find, you know, kind of 70s fucking tat. And uh, there was a little Thin Lizzy, seven-inch in there. Now, again, I like Thin Lizzy, but I'm not, I'm not obsessed with Thin Lizzy. And I picked it up and I put it back in. I was like, fuck, I don't really buy Thin Lizzy stuff. Like, I buy albums just to have yeah. them, but I'm not buying singles. And I put it back in. I pulled out two or three just, you know, Nina 99 Red Balloons. Bullshit for DJing. That's just fun. But about a minute later, I was like, you know what? I said, I've never seen that Thin Lizzy before. And I looked at the back of it and I was like, I don't know any of them songs. Yeah. I don't know any of them. So I thought to myself, you know what? The guy wanted a euro per seven inch. So you offered him 70 cent. Huh? You offered him seven. Not even. I just, you know, I think I just pulled three or four out, and I said, you know, what? I'm just going to grab that that thin Lizzie. And what was yeah. weird, it was a seven inch, but it was a gay fold seven inch. But because I didn't recognize the name of it, and it wasn't Dancing in the Moonlight or Boys and Back in Town, or I was like, I thought this is a little bit killer odd. on the loose. I'll grab it. Yeah, it wasn't one of the big singles. I grab it for a euro. Grabbed it, threw it in my backpack on the bus on the way home. I start uh, something was in the back of my head, and I said, you know what? I have to I have to have a look online. Pulled my phone out. And I was searching. It was called The New Day. That's what it was called. Thin Lizzy, The New Day EP. And I was rooting around. I couldn't find reference to it anywhere. Anywhere. And then I finally found one in like Sotheby's or something. One of these auction houses in the UK. Where somebody had sold a copy of The New Day EP about 10 years previous for about £900. I was what the fuck? So I went rooting and rooting and rooting. And eventually I found out that it was printed here in Ireland. Right. Um, it was actually printed right beside where I bought it it was printed up on uh, King's Inn Street there used to be uh, a pressing plant there on the north side of Dublin and it was recalled It was this was supposed to be the EP that they launched Thin Lizzy into the UK with Right. And but while they were pressing them and getting ready to ship them some song came out it could have been Boys Are Back in Town I, I don't know one of the big big songs hit yeah, and it just and became that's all huge. they needed anyway. And that's yeah. all they needed. Yeah, but it also turns out that they were recalling. They stopped printing these New Day EPs because there was a spelling mistake on them. Instead of saying Brian Dowling, they said Brian Powling. Brian so, Powling, exactly. So they're recalling them. So whoever gave this little EP into the charity shop must have worked in the printing printing plant because it yeah. was immaculate. Immaculate, like still had like the release agent on the on the seven inch. Like it would, it it was taken from the printing plant, put into this case along with a lot of sort of bullshit, and just sealed up for fucking like the guts of fifty years. So uh, I sold online for a thousand euro. Fuck off. Yep. Did you thousand euro? I got for it on eBay. Did you not feel like hanging on to that for longer? You no. Your bills to pay. No, I paid. I paid my uh, deposit on my house. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Paid my rental deposit with him. Now there was murder over it because the guy, 
I sold it as unplayed, which it was. Oh, uh, I remember this. Oh, yeah. You had murder over this. And uh, the guy who bought it at me, he was in a big bidding war with some guy in Japan to buy it. And it was a guy in England who ended up buying it. And uh, when he took it, I got an email off him like a week later saying, this sounds like garbage. Um, I want my money back. And I said, well, I can't give Why you your money play back. it? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's exactly, that was my whole thing. It was like, well, I sold you an unplayed record. Like, I fucking been around records long enough to know it's unplayed. It's still statically charged, for fuck's sake, in this little gatefold. I said, well, you're going to be giving me back something different from what I sold you. I sold yeah. you an unplayed record, and you just told me that you've listened to it. I don't know what your does sound that, system's if, like. If you buy something unplayed, there's always a chance that it might not, it, it might, could be a, a, a fucked up copy. It could be gammy, who knows? You're buying it because it's so rare, you know? Yeah. Um, that's, this is absolutely something you fucking stick on, yeah. on a shelf, you know what I mean? You put it behind museum glass and mount it on a wall and tr- hope to God some fucking idiot one day rips it on the MP3 so you can actually hear it. Yeah. Um, or hope that the, the songs from the master tape end up in a compilation. But yeah, uh, a thousand Jesus. euro. I eventually, he, uh, took me about six months to get it off him. But I, I did get it. Um, I, to be honest with you, I always have the feeling that his, his wife or his fella he or bought whatever it, drunk. it was, someone seen a receipt for a thousand euro seven inch. He bought it a little bit drunk, maybe yeah. something. Was, yeah, a bit under. Yeah, so, no, that's a good, that's technically like a, a great story about a lost song because you can't get that now. That's, well, they presume the songs have been. Still hasn't been re-released. No. Really? Yeah. Well, uh, another quick story was the Universal Music for. Don't really want to yeah. go massively into that because it's it's not as interesting. I was wanting to do a podcast and then I went, it's not really that much. The big four at Universal in 2008 were about maybe 120 to 175,000 uh, ma- original masters were born and destroyed. Yeah. Now, they had backups of them all. Yeah. They say. There's a lot of them I think they don't because they haven't been pressed on it. They did get... They would have a lot of, lots of digitized. I mean, I, I know it's not the no, same I know, as but a like, master tape. But, but what, what, what happened was they could be sued then. Yeah. And they were attempted to hole in Soundgarden amongst a lot of others mm. attempted to sue them because um, for not protecting the master tapes. That's basically what you can sue someone for. Yeah. So anyway, there is a lot of stuff that they're, if they're pressed on, Universal will not be able to uh, to recreate. I don't think. Well, they said it backups everything. I don't know. So we should go into our first one. Yeah. The first one is a song called Dirt and Grime by Father's Children from the album uh, Who's Gonna Save the World, which was recorded in 1972 to 73. Now, it was never released, so there's no release date on it. This is a kind of funk band from Washington, D.C. Yeah. Um, I heard of them through a sample on a Kanye West song. I was like, that is absolutely fantastic. And it turns out a few years before it had been rediscovered. Mm. So what happened was uh, Father's Children started out as the Dreams, as a doo-wop band. From uh, from Washington, that turned into a, a soul funk band in the kind of style of maybe like Earth, Wind and Fire or Sly mm. and the Family Stone, and a lot of them converted to Islam. This was happening around the time that Martin Luther King had been shot, and people yeah. were just fucking angry as fuck. So funk was starting to get a little politically charged as well. So it's that's why Dor- yeah, Dorton Grime has a lot of kind of um, social commentary on it as well. It's great, o- Dorton Grime. Yeah, yeah it's a f- it's an absolutely fantastic song. It's kind of a sad story about this album because I reckon this could have put them big time on the map and we won't know what happens. We won't know what would have happened mm. anyway. Um, what happened was, this was their first album as Father's Children. They recorded it with uh, the producer, Robert Hosea Williams. The problem was, after they recorded it, the management company went bankrupt and they couldn't pay the producer. Therefore, oh. he didn't give them the tapes and put them in his uh, garage. He put them in his garage 
then they couldn't do anything about that. So it was actually not till 79 they released their second album, which is actually their first album, if you think about mm. it, because they didn't really release another one. And uh, people weren't into it. It wasn't the same kind of thing. Also, it's coming into the 80s. It's the, the music's... This is se- seven years, nearly seven years later. It's it's not the right time to be to be doing this anyway. So poor old father's children, they never, never made it. So in 2009... A, group, uh, a label called the Numero Group acquired and transferred all of the producer Jose Williams stuff to Chicago and that was when the album Who's Gonna Save the World was heard for the first time mm. properly in about 35 years Jesus. and they went this has to go out now yeah. this has to go out now so I think they would have actually had to create the artwork for it I don't think there were just tapes just tapes yeah or just master tapes yeah. so, so maybe there's some photos of the original the, the picture re- is one of the dudes recreated. from the uh, now I I struggled to find the proper names of the band. No, I won't say proper names. These are the names of the members, but there's been lineup changes. So, because of the conversion to Islam, the names of the band are Hakim Abdul Ghani, Khalik Abdul Hanif, Malik Abdul Kabir, Kadir Abdul. It's a, it's just a lot of names. Then randomly, just Tony Vaughan just pops in there. Then back to then back to Yaya Abdullah. So they they were um, definitely affected by the things that were happening in America at that time to, to convert to Islam and change it into a funk or change it to kind of like a grittier kind of funk band mm. um, so the Mero group released this I like this this has a good kind of ending a little bit this got really good reviews when it was re-released because mm. they handled it really well They, they, I think the Nomero group did a really good job they they uh, it, it looks great like I, I've seen pictures of it I didn't I didn't buy a copy yet it's still quite it's still quite pricey I think it's still nearly 40 quid really yeah um, in 2011 they had a launch party for it and they invited the band to come and sign stuff for them so people could actually meet them hmm. now they before this they'd only reunited in 2005 for like a year or something like that but that is kind of a nice little story so the, the sample is on the Kanye West song uh, Facts from the Life of Pablo album so the album got lost for what is it 35 years and came back out and I'm just glad that they know at least it, it must be great to be like shit that's people hmm. did uh, the reviews they're getting the reviews for it now or well 2011 that they would have gotten you know back then unfortunately they don't get the spawns and the, and the career that was gone yeah that's Father's Children the song uh, the, the album isn't the album isn't perfect it yeah. has a, it's it's kind of it's got a lot of flavours on it it's kind of like it's fu- it's obviously funky so but it has psychedelic stuff and string sections and the, the odd ballad it's, it almost plays like a compilation if you know what I mean yeah but it's good that it got out there finally so that was a lost album and the song Dirt and Grime is arguably the best song on it I think it's not arguable I think that's the best song on it so that's the, that's the, you reckon that's the top it has one to be. of that it's just an absolutely phenomenal song it's just really really cool and um, so that's a song that was lost for 35 years and thankfully once uh, everyone was, everyone's going to give Kanye West the credit for it. Well, actually, course. wasn't that was years, years later. It was the Numero company who bought the tapes off the producer. Fair play to fucking Kanye for fun. No, absolutely, and that, like that, that brought out big. No, no, that would be the reason that loads of people went to bought, bought, yeah. yeah, and bought yeah. as well. Because there's only so much a label can hype yeah. something they found, and we're going to find that a lot in this podcast. If labels find something and they hype it as much as they can, and uh, so that's uh, that's Father's Children from '72. Um, Who's your one? Uh, one that I have, quite honestly, four lines of research done on. This is going to happen with um, this music as well, though. It's going to happen. It's a guy called Ify Jerry Crusade. Now, Crusade, when you go looking for him online, uh, you, you'll find his name spelled with a C, you'll find his name spelled with a K. 
Um, the song is called Everybody Likes Something Good. Everybody does like something they good. They do, yeah. They'd want to. Unless miserable cunts. They <laughs> yeah. don't like something good. They like only bad things. Yeah. So th- this song kind of got a little bit famous in... Th- this song was recorded in the 70s. Nobody really... It's, trying to find details on this track is just it's impossible. But this is this is the meat that we're getting yeah. into. Some of these are going to be dead ends. That's yeah. fine. That's th- th- the idea. Th- there's some way of loads of information on This is absolutely my least amount of information I have. So th- this song is fr- from the 70s. And... Uh, Ify was a Nigerian guy uh, from Lagos. So what happened, there was a civil war in Nigeria in the late 60s. And post-civil war, there was this explosion of music where like Western influences and European influences and American influence start soaking into the country. And they start hearing... It's just such a fantastic mix. It's mad. It's Because you got the African mixed into it. It's it's fucking insane. It's it's such an incredible mix. Yeah, like th- this song. Kinda, I'm a ma- massive fan of. What's well, a massive fan of Nigerian funk? You could, I could I couldn't tell you a huge amount yeah. about it, but I know but, well, I stick on a compilation. There's loads of compilations came yeah. out in the mid 2000s yeah. and stuff like that, and they are so that's, interesting. This, that's where this one kind of came. This was put on about. There's one famous compilation called like uh, Lagos Explosion or something like that. It's called. Yeah. And, um, I actually touch on it later. Yeah. So I have the names. Don't yeah. Worry. <laughs> and um. So th- th- this got famous. I think it was like, Nigeria seventy was the big one. Yeah, the big compilation. That was the big comp. Yeah. I think this might have been on that as well. And then there's like Lagos explosion. And I think because this song was so, it wasn't really sampled that hard in kind of modern hip hop. But I think that when in the early two thousands these compilations came out and people start finding new sources for samples, people start talking about songs that could be sampled. And I believe this is one yeah. of the ones that people start talking about a lot. So. Uh, this is just fucking. It's batshit mad. It, it's it's got this weird mix of like funk and psych rock and soul. Like you were saying, when all that music came in around the same time, yeah, people didn't. It wasn't staggered in their conscious. It just over exploded. Years. It, it all got mixed yeah. together. That, like, by the by, the looks of it, they went from having essentially zero external music to having access to almost everything in the world that had happened while they were fucking killing each other. So all of a sudden, peace descends on the nation. Fucking record shops start opening. They're yep. able to get a hold of soul records, funk records. They're hearing what's happening and happened in Motown and Tammy and Stax and all this yep. kind of shit. And then all of a sudden, people who have instruments start hearing music that they've never heard before. So they start having a crack at it themselves. But they're not, they don't, they're not thinking in terms of soul and funk and rock and psych and whatever they're still they're just, musicians yeah. that have been musicians for years they've still got their own yep. way of doing yep. things so they're just hearing yeah. weird formulas for writing songs and they're hearing it all at the same time it literally just happens if you look we can't like we done a, a timmy schmidt fucking job and just came out of the the the, the, the time capsule you know what i mean out of the, the bomb shelter yeah after like fucking 20, 30 years of madness and we've just heard everything that's happened. Yeah. Someone says, here's Spotify. Your brain would snap. <laughs> you'd go batshit mad. And a lot It'd of people... It'd be an exciting time yeah. for about a week before a you'd, load have have, people you'd have to, you'd have to, you'd have to take mad. a break and just not listen to any music. <laughs> exactly. So again, literally that's all I have. This is a weird 70s mix of Nigerian funk, soul, rock, psych, whatever they could get their hands on 
and it all just came about at once. And as you said, there's compilations. The early early mid two thousands just exploded with compilations full of this stuff that had been made and just sat on shelves for so yeah. long. And now the world in the in the last kind of ten fifteen years, the world actually cares about world music again. Yeah. yeah. Like for so long, it was just you heard an instrument that wasn't a guitar, a drum, or a bass or whatever, or even a keyboard. And you went, I don't know what the fuck. I'm not. <laughs> you know, it's not for me. Yeah. It's not for me. But in the last kind of twenty odd years we've actually started taking an interest again in what other instruments and other countries, what their take is on stuff. That's Ify, Ify Jerry Crusade. It's a great song. Yeah, it's a compilations a lot. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a super song. It actually sounds pretty good. The recording is very interesting. It's, um, it's obviously their take on what they'd been hearing. So their version of Levels is, is quite interesting yeah. where they place some instruments in the mix. But it's, it's, I like it a lot and it was one of the ones that jumped out to me when I was doing research on this. Yeah, yeah. Right, what's your next one? My next one is Lewis. It's just called Lewis on this album uh, from the album Lamar, 1983. Mm. And the song is called Like to See You Again. Now, not a lot is known about this guy. Uh, we'll get into it. It started, more and more started to come out a little bit. Yeah, He went under the name Lewis Ballou in the second album. Yeah. We'll get into that. His real name is Randall A. Wolf. That's a better name. It is a better name. Isn't it? I think so. Rather than just Lewis. Mm, Lewis Ballou. So... This album hadn't had any interest at all from anyone until 2007. A vinyl collector was in a flea market in Canada and picked up this album called Lamar. It's like, Lewis, Lamar, I don't know. So he started asking a few people and they started digging it and it became a thing then. Mm. Like, who is this guy? Now, there's a, there's a good chance that this album was never even put into shops. Really? Into shops even. Because there was that few of them around. This album is kind of a ambient, spooky, kind of super slow mm. with really soft kind of synths. And it's almost like it's it's actually really good, which is why people would go digging. If it's, it's a bag of trash, you wouldn't even really think too much yeah. about it. It's almost like a little bit like Tom Waits sang by the ghost of Nick Drake or something Mad. like that. And uh, it's kind of it, it's dreamy and a little bit unsettling. So. They think that the album was self-funded by him, by Lewis himself, right. and produced by a guy called Bob Kinsey. Um, as far as anyone knows, this is his first album. Okay. And it was released on an unknown label called Raw. Um, Which sounds like it's his. No, I think th- no, I think what it is, is there was a place in Hollywood you could go and just get an album made up mm. or have people ready to do stuff for you and get it done yourself mm. in a matter of a few days. It's one of those drop in I've got some songs yeah. but nobody knows what what he did with the album or why he did this because hmm. there's absolutely no promo for it at all so the story started they started to dig a little bit deeper and the only real forced person they could get in contact was the photographer mm-hmm. who took the picture of this kind of you have to check out a picture of this kind of Lewis guy he's kind of Slim, good-looking, blonde dude, but yeah. the album's like black and white. So the, this is this is where it starts. This is where I think people got really interested. They found out that the photographer that Lewis hired was a guy called Edward Culver. Does right. that name sound familiar to you at all? A little bit. Edward Culver, right, drove four hundred miles to Lewis mm. under the pretense he was getting two hundred quid to take these album covers or the photos. Now, Edward Culver. What year is this? This is eighty-three. Okay. Edward Culver is the one of the biggest hardcore photographer of hardcore music. Yeah. So he would have done 
circle jerks mm. gig photos mm. and album covers he photographed Damaged by Black Flag yeah. the cover of that oh yeah Shine Away Wasted Youth T-Sol or T-S-O-L how do you pronounce T-Sol T-S-O-L Adolescence and your favourite band Social Distortion I they die in a fire this guy is so super well known it's the only real grip people had on who is this guy is that they had Edward Culver who's known known well known it is so, known. So they got on to him and all he really said was this lad Roy is some guy who lives in the Beverly Hills Hotel. He drives a white convertible. He dated a girl that looks like a supermodel and more importantly the cunt check bounced. Oh, Dort. <sighs> yeah. That's how you get a Dort name. Dort name. Do a little Dort name on yourself. So they're digging and digging and digging. They don't know anything about this, Roy. So people start to get Really, really interesting. Where is the, who is this Lewis guy? Why did he make this album? It's actually good enough to care about. Yeah, it's very, it's very, it's very slow, and it's very nice to listen to actually. So, a, band, a, a label called Light in the Attic started putting. Um, they knew he was from Canada, so he's Canadian. Yeah. So they started putting the posters around, going, "We want to release this album." So they want to copy it and repress it. Um. So they started putting posters up around going, do you know this guy? We want to get in contact with him. So they put posters everywhere. We weren't getting anywhere. Um, so they just went, fuck it, we'll, we'll shoot it out there. And that'll be the quickest way to find out mm. who he is because he'll come looking for the money. So they put it out there anyway. Mm. And it sold quite well, actually. And it got really, really good reviews as well. Um, and as soon as they did that, someone went, oh, I have another album by this guy. Really? A second album. <laughs> And the cover of this album is even madder looking. It's just him with a white Mercedes in a white suit, blonde hair, dashing looking dude, and yeah. a, a private jet in the background. So now, now the internet is is going right. Yeah. We're getting to the absolute bottom of this. Wh- 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 where is he releasing these albums? Nobody knows anything about him, but he has albums out there. The second album is called Romantic Times. So Light in the Attic, I think, released that as well. All right. But in that time, they started to find out a little bit more about Lewis. Baloo mm. and people were saying oh yeah he he, uh, he released a few uh, religious he went religious mm. so he went religious started releasing a few other albums this is through other producers that you know you go through producers they'll, they'll know they remember yeah. shit like that Um, so a guy called Aaron Levin from Weird Canada and the guys from the record label uh, Light and the Attic Matt Sullivan yeah they finally tracked him down Um. They, they tracked down to where he was and found him just drinking a coffee and they went up and went you're, you're your man you're your man yeah. and he was kind of like laughing going yeah that's me yeah so they're like can you tell us more and he's like no I don't want to talk about it really just I'm no interest in talking about my music at all so they were like can you now this is what they are telling us they, they refused to name the city that yeah. they found him in for his sake yeah yeah because it's still all mad cunts now looking, looking for this lad so there's it's a lot like Jeep bro. Do you remember a, Jeep bro? Jeep bro, yeah. Yeah, they yeah, found him. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of people along the way had lots of stories about him. They tried to get, they got in contact with his family. His family mm. didn't know anything about him anymore. It really? Strange from his family. Just left. Yeah. I'm out. Yeah. Don't know, don't know any of the models that he was dating. Um. All the, uh, yeah. It's just, it's just crazy. So they did get a chat to him. They didn't say much about the meeting apart from the fact that he smiled and went, oh, very much, and signed a few copies of it. Yeah. They said to him, right, uh, we have your money. And he went, no, I don't want it. Really? 20 grand, a check. Fuck. 
Your man Matt Sullivan apparently had a check in his pocket for 20 grand of royalties. And he didn't want it. Didn't want it. Anything stupid. That's fucking Did not mad. want to talk about it. This is fucking, this lad is Eddie and the Cruiser's job. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So what they've done is now they've decided to stop pressing both of the albums because he he's not taking it. the money. Yeah. So they feel they can't do that. Now, they've a few copies he of He must the, have a few Bob though. Well, he had he worked in the stock market back then. <sighs> now a lot of people other producers that did a few things, some of them have said we think he's a con man. Oh. Now that's just a a, a rumor and he doesn't want his name out there. Yeah. So, when you work in the stock market in the 80s... Yeah, you're probably dirt. You're probably... <laughs> you might have done dirt. some things. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really know. The singing wolf of Wall Street, like... So, there's a few copies of uh, Romantic Times left, so I bought one last night. Oh, yeah. After reading this, it was like... he Under the religious stuff, he went under the name Randy Duke, which is, again, true. Loads of people lost. Still a better name. Yeah. Now, here's where I found another article. And just before I went into it, I went... Apparently, it's an interview with him. They got right. him to talk about okay. it. Okay. Recently. Was, yeah, uh, this no well, <clears throat> I'd say this was about four or five years ago. Oh, yeah, still, and before I clicked, I went. No, I think I want to leave that there. I think I want to leave that yeah, there because I read a, I read a few comments going. I wish I'd left it there. Yeah, yeah. So this is up to you now, folks. If you want to listen to more about Lewis Lewis Ballou, you can go listen if you want. Now apparently, just people have said that there's two or three more mm. albums of his style really? out there, and just producers going. We've heard other stuff that is even better than these albums yeah. under his name as well fuck. out there now when I started reading the thing it was like we sat down with Lewis and I went you know fuck I think I'm good I think that's the perfect ending like mm. if you were making a movie about this right about just searching for this guy and you found him and he smiled yeah. signed a copy refused to check and walked off with his coffee that's where that's where I want the story to end leave there. the mystery there I want the story to end there now you can go forward with it yeah and I probably will eventually get fucking you know want to know more some evening you'll be bored and you'll go digging but I just like that there's a, there's a guy releasing albums that are getting quite good reviews now. Yeah. Like like Father's Children, the reviews are good. Yeah, yeah. Like, now, there's a, all, always going to be an element of, oh my God, the story, does that affect my yeah, review of the album? Yeah. But you can listen to this album through. It's very sparsely delicate mm. music. I just don't know why he did it. Why he did this. Oh, did he want a career? Mm. It didn't seem like he wants to put it out anywhere. I think a lot of people just have something in them that they need to get out. I That's think. probably it. Just, he felt like he had these songs... Yeah. Did he kill someone though? I don't know. Did he did he embezzle a lot of money? Well, Why were his checks bouncing? There's the mystery. Why was he driving around in white marks? I don't want to really know. Mm. You know the gas thing is I really I, I was about to just before last night when I was reading the last bit of this, because I'd heard about this a while ago, a little bit, but I never dug into it till last night. Yeah. So I decided to just stop there and go, that's that's Leave it at that's that. where I wanted to go. So that's Lewis Ballew. Lewis Ballew. It's Interesting. Big, it's a cool story about uh, Edward Culver, the, the photographer. Yeah. That's where they first got a, a little clue into who this lad is. Mad. Out from the fucking hardcore scene. Yeah. So who's your uh, who's your next one? Uh, I got a weird one. Um, I didn't know anything about this group. This group are called Shango. Yeah. And uh, the song is Shango Message. This is kind of mid 80s I like it a lot it's deadly I've, I heard this before because of who you're going to say yeah. is probably your only bit of information about pretty it. much uh, so uh, it's off an album called Shango Funk Theology from 1984 now the only reason I know anything about this is because I bought this album at a record fair for a fiver 
Yeah. Right? So I have a physical copy of it. I fucking heard this song and, and the name Shango somewhere and I can't remember where. You, you know what? It might have been you. It, possibly. It could have been you telling me about it. Possibly. Um, I actually, one of the recent videos i done for the Facebook page, I cited this as one of my favourite album covers of all time. I fucking love it so it's much. Class. I think this definitely influenced loads of Big hip, hip-hop album covers. So Forget much. about the music. So much. The amount of times you'll see an album cover like this. It's fully painted. It's just... It looks a bit like superhero-y. Yeah. They're all, one of them was wearing like a Galactus helmet. Yeah. And, oh, it's so good. This it's could so be good. an MF Doom album cover. Yeah, big time. Absolutely. Big time. Yeah. So, uh, Shango were formed by Africa Bambata. That's, yeah, that's just the name I know from yeah. that. Yeah. So, Africa Bambata is considered the godfather of hip-hop. He's one of the original turntablists from the Bronx in New York, who uh, essentially was responsible for the invention of hip-hop. You might people might know him from uh, the left field song. Yeah, yeah. Bambada's been around forever, literally yeah. forever. Um, him and Grandmaster Flash and um, Fab Five Freddy, and there's, there's a, a bunch of people who yeah. all left field is the first one we heard of. Yeah, I know because I'm not deep into hip hop. That's my first. Yeah, he would have featured on an awful lot of stuff. Um, from it's almost impossible to find out. Who was actually in Shango, right? Yeah, I actually had a look and I couldn't find a... You know what? You type in Shango... You don't get anything. You, you type just in Shango message, Bambata. you don't get anything. You just get Africa Bambata. You type in the name of the album, you get Discogs and that's it. That's it. Now, the album's not worth anything. It's just one of these, as, as we're talking about, lost, forgotten about, just gone. The song itself is fucking super. Yeah, it's great. It's somewhere between 80s hip-hop and John Carpenter. It has this synthy fucking 808 kind of blippy bloppy music it's slightly more advanced than something like Grandmaster Flash The Message like this is called Shango Message so this is they're continuing on in that vein it's not as basic as most hip hop or funk that was doing the rounds at that stage there's a little bit more to it not a lot but a little bit more to it so Africa had when Africa started getting a name for himself as a musician in general, in the kind of mid-80s, he started a bunch of uh, acts. He, he started putting together a little... He had this... Uh, what do call it? Fucking Zulu Nation or something like that. It was a Zulu Nation. He put together Zulu Nation, which would have been a collection of uh, rappers and, and DJs and everything he could get a hold of. And he had a group called Soul Sonic Force. And he had a group called Tribal Force, I think. And... Um, he just he, he he threw the net wide yeah. is what he done, and most of the little groups and bands he put together, getting information on them once again is they were almost all one and done. Like I can't see any reference to another Shango album. There might be, um, there's about four other bands called Shango, yeah, and maybe two of them could quite possibly be related to this Shango. There's another Shango that's a rock band. There's another band that's like a, a, an electronic kind of dance music band. That's the one that came up for me first. Yeah. Um, but this OG original fucking hip hop, funk, whatever, Shango thing, um, it's the only reference I can find is, is like you said, on Discogs where people are selling the actual Selling it, yeah. It, is, it seems lost in time. You can't get it. Um, I did find an article. Um, obviously, the name of the people is on the album. It's on the back of the LP. Um, but in terms of like online research, I found one article that had a name, but it didn't match the name on the back of the LP. So I, I was hesitant to even include it. You had loads of work to do. There's <laughs> just so much going on. Now, here's the problem. This is where the moral dilemma comes in. 
by all accounts, Africa Bambata is a fucking scumbag. Really? Is a child molesting scumbag. Ah, fuck off. Yeah. Now, not, not fuck off you, fuck off him. Yeah. Um, there is, he was never arrested for it because it was past the, uh, what do they call it, the statute of limitations. There was a bunch of people from around this era in bands that he managed and put together that claimed that he molested them. And uh, but because it was more than twenty years when they came out, I think it's twenty years, twenty five years is the statute of limitations in America. You can't be done for that's kind of fucked evil up deeds. Really, yeah, it's mad. Um, that's just so, them going. Can we close a few of these cases? Yeah, yeah can we just yeah? No, no, there was a bunch of cases, but none of them. He wasn't convicted in any of them, any of them because of the statute of limitations. I don't know how much proof there was. I don't know how many people came forward. Um, I also don't want to be that guy who just says something like that. And he's just going back, walk away. But there seems to be an awful lot of people came forward saying that Bambata fucking fiddled me when I was a young fella. And Bambata's not massive enough to get out now of saying that. Not that you need that. I mean, I'm sure he's not got a few, Bob, but it's like... But what I'm saying is like, that's... Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. He, he's, he wouldn't have as big a name as Grandmaster Flash or anybody else even from that era. Yeah. Um, he's not necessarily the smallest name from that era, but he's kind of lost in the mix a little bit. Um, so I didn't want to go too much into Africa Bombata. Uh, you can, if, if you if you find that type of stuff fucking interesting, yeah, um, you can go looking for it yourself. But uh, Shango apparently started in the South Bronx, um, a lot where he originally came from. That's literally all the information I can give you. Yeah. This album is online. I don't like that song anymore. <laughs> um, Just saying. He actually on the cover of it, Africa is hanging over them, shooting lasers out his fingers as well. Uh, this album is, it's on Spotify, the link is in the playlist as normal, but what you will find if you click on uh, Show Artist, it mixes in a bunch of the shangos, there is a fuck up. Yeah. There is a fuck up. So you will find... So, no, that's the way Spotify works. If yeah. You, if, if you submit your name, and yeah. it's the same as someone else's, you'll have to message your either record label or your aggregator to get it separated yeah. from them and they'll have to contact Spotify yeah I think they create a different ISO name for they all have, of them yeah, exactly yeah. Yeah. I, I've been through that I've with, been through it myself with, as well, my own with, with Skeleton Crew there was yeah. another Skeleton Crew in the 60s that, like a psychedelic rock band and all my songs I'm a French rapper with the same name as exactly. uh, my uh, <coughs> project so. Sprinter right. have at it um, yeah that's you will find this whole album up there if you go looking just go by the artwork as opposed to the name yeah, um, but that that's that's it. That's all I can give you on Shango. I own the LP. I like it a lot. This song is fucking super. Every song is a little bit long. I think on that album, they're all around uh, five to six minutes, which is unusual um, yeah. for the time. Yeah, but uh, yeah, who's your next one? My next one is Frank Wilson. Do I love you? Indeed, I do. From nineteen sixty-five. Mm. So this is, I think, it's the rarest Northern Soul record of all time. Interesting. Um. And I like, I, I've only really started to understand about Northern Soul in the last few years. Mm. Now, I knew loads of Northern Soul songs, but I didn't really know, couldn't put, put the whole genre together properly. Yeah. Especially started drinking in a certain pub that has nights yeah, on, that it, runs it. Because it's not a genre, that's why. Well, yeah. it's, it's, an in, it's, it's an interesting sphere, yes. very interesting sphere. So I started to get really into stuff that I knew, I was linking it all together. I love being able to link a kind of style of music together. And... Um, I initially had the song uh, Gone With The Wind mm. Is My Love by Reading Tiaras until I found this story a little bit more interesting for, for a lost song. Um, this song was recorded in 1965 by Frank Wilson on the subsidiary label Soul. Yeah. The Motown. It's, it's yep. a Motown subsidiary and they pressed 250 demos, 250 45s. Um, now, there's, there's a rumour what happened after it. 
that Barry Gordy of Motown went, I don't like this lad's voice at all. Mm. Scrap this. And also recall them all. I don't want that going out. At the same time, Frank Wilson was like, you know what? I don't even care. Take them all. I don't want to be really a singer anyway. Mm. I want to be a writer and a producer. So that suits me. Whatever. Take it away. So what happened was then three copies out of the 250, three copies went to the Motown archives. Three copies were retained by the pressing plant. Mm. Then what happened in years after that, the pressing plant destroyed two versions and just kept one for their archives. Yep. So one copy of Do I Love You. Then when Motown was moving its archives to LA, their three got diminished to one. So there's only really two at this, at this stage mm. in the late 60s that we know of, of this Northern Soul song, Do I Love You. So Motown had hired a historian called Tom Del Piero in so in nineteen seventy seven he got a copy of it. I think it's Motown's copy that, that he had. Mm. And a guy called Simon Susan, who was a record collector and a massive, massive Northern Soul fan. No one knows how he got it off Tom Del Piero. Some people said he stole it. Mm. Some people said he there, borrowed it. There does be some dirty movements he in borrowed Northern it. Soul. Now the, the thing about Northern Soul is that I kinda of like is that the, the rarest of your records is what makes you as a yes. DJ. Yeah. I you're, like not, that. you're not allowed DJ with reproductions or represses. Well, this has had to happen with this one, unfortunately. <laughs> but well, we'll get into that now. But I do like I do like that idea of the DJs are, are known by your your s- selections to the point where I read I read that Northern Soul DJs would if they had a, a really good song that didn't want anyone else to play in their collection they would stick a sticker over yeah. it with a different name yeah. of so they didn't want like another DJ look at the going I'm going to get that for 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 my set. So we've hosted. Probably. Now, this is just me talking shit yep. about Northern Soul. Yep. I just, all I can say is, I really like it, but I don't know fucking yeah. that much. Th- th- no one really does. This is the mad thing about it. Like, I've hosted maybe five or six different clubs that deal in Northern Soul. Now, some of them are monthly, some of them are yearly, yeah. some of them you'll see every four years. Um, as you said, the DJs get famous via their collections. Collections. Right? I really like that idea. It's, 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 there's nothing else like it in the yeah. entire world. It's this brilliant. is the Pokemon of music, right? Yeah. So, and, and just on a quick note, yeah. I've had DJs come up and chat to me beside me, and I've pulled the laptop lid down. Oh yeah. Now I DJ have a laptop, so yeah. obviously Northern Soul DJs mm. is going laptop. Get the fuck. But I don't like when someone takes a little kind of secret little banger yeah. that I have and goes, oh, oh, yeah. I'll play that. Yeah. It's not my song anyway, but don't T- do that. Take that fucking 600% into the future. like Yeah. So, there's a million rumours and stories about how Northern Soul began. And it depends on who you believe. So, Blind Boy, of all people, did a great podcast. Blind Boy from the Rubber Bandits. done a fantastic podcast about Northern Soul about a year ago. Years ago. He probably did this song. Did he, did he, Blind oh, Boy no, he do didn't. this? He didn't even talk about songs. He just talked about the genre as a whole. Um, Blind Boy's already done it. It's like The Simpsons. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, the story he gave will be one of the more oh, exaggerated stories of the history of Northern Soul. So Northern Soul gets its name because it was popular in the north of England, right? In particular in Manchester and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, was it recreations of, of sort of Motown? No. No. This is, if you go with this story, this is the story I choose to believe because it's the best story. Yeah, okay? this is a kind of Manchester-y thing though, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, right. Yeah. So basically what it was, it's the uh, mid-60s, uh, stuff like Elvis and all this kind of shit is really popular in England as well. 
There's no real pubs or nightclubs at this stage. What there are is there's cafes that have jukeboxes. And the kids go and hang out in the cafes at night and listen, throw 10 pence in and line up a couple of songs. Now, okay. Get Do me, it. Get me shit together. Give me some so, Northern Soul info. America was buying coal from Manchester. They didn't really have a coal industry in America that worked. They were buying all their coal from the north of England. So what was happening was giant ships were leaving Manchester port, going across the Atlantic and dropping off hundreds of fucking tons of coal to America. And then they were coming straight back to refill to go back again. However, they needed ballast. They needed weight in their hold. Okay, The cheapest thing that they could buy in America were the records from Motown, Tamiya, Stacks, all this kind of like shit. Like shit like this that was getting dumped. Yeah, right? Stuff that they were getting rid of. Because Motown and Soul was so big at the time that when someone like Berry Gordy or whatever would sign an act, they would press up a fucking atrocious amount of seven inches in the assumption that it would be huge. And if it didn't hit straight away, they were left with hundreds yeah. of thousands of records. So the cheapest item per dollar, per pound or kilo to buy were seven-inch records right, mm-hmm. from America. So the shipping companies were buying hundreds of tons of seven inches and fucking them into their hold, sailing back to Manchester, and they would into Manchester port or whatever, or Liverpool port or wherever the fuck, wherever the closest port is, and they would t- send lads down into the hold, they'd take up literally hundreds of thousands of seven inches and fuck them onto the pier, right? Now... The guys who were running the cafes at the time, they didn't want to spend six, seven pounds on the latest Elvis single or the latest Diana Ross single or whatever was huge at the time, right? So they were going down and picking these records up for free or for next to nothing off the Harbour Master, like for a penny a pop, bringing them back and putting them in their jukeboxes and telling the kids that this is the newest fucking hit from America. So the kids were going in, throwing their couple of pence into the jukeboxes and bopping away all night. And by process of elimination is how we get Northern Soul. So generally, anything that was like from one of the, from Motown or Stax or anything like that, that was above 100 BPM, that's right, yes, that could be yeah. danceable. On, yeah. That's how they filtered it out via the jukeboxes. So the kids start dancing to fucking stuff that was fast. So Unless of the... They didn't want the, the, whatever, the drifters and shit, they wanted... The, the higher BPM stuff but the only stuff they were getting was the stuff that Motown did not want right? yeah. and because there was no internet there was no communication essentially between them um, it was a nightmare so <laughs> what started happening is the cafe owners by throwing these 7 inches in they were seeing they were getting the, the readouts at the end the, the, the jukebox guy would arrive and say well this record was played 700 times the oh wow months. right and this one was only, readings like that. yeah. that's cool yeah. so this one was played an awful lot and this one was played very little like, what's the difference? He listened to it, and one was a fucking, like I said, 100 BPM higher. Bullshit. And, you, you, and you one, was, yeah. the gang got bopped to him. Yeah. Now, from that came the Northern Soul scene um, in the, I think it was 66, 67, something like that. So these these guys were listening to music that was not Dort. even heard, no, but not Dort. even heard in America. Yeah. Like, not even big in America, yep. but they were getting mad into this. They were getting mad into it. Um, that's where the scene spawned. Now, again, this is a, a very, this could quite possibly be 
a very storied version of this story. You know, this could be turned up to eleven. Um, but it does make sense. Rudimentary rumors. Yeah, it does. It does make sense because we know that the rarity of these records is because they were not available, and they were not available because Motown and the other soul labels were fucking getting rid of them. They yeah. were going into cargo holds. Yeah. To become ballast for ships. And then when they got to uh, the ports in the UK, they were being thrown out onto the pier. So what survived and what became popular was literally just a dice roll. Completely and utterly a dice roll. That's what's insane about it. That's why you will see, there's, comp- there's a million compilations now about Northern Soul hits. Northern Soul hits. And you read through it and there's stuff there that you you won't know anything about any of them. And they got popular 40, 50 years yeah. after they were well, well yeah. gone. What's interesting is stuff like Frankie Valley, um, The Night, that became a big Northern Soul here, even though that was, that was like his little experimental. He, Frankie Valley, one of the first white people, I think, to actually sign to, to Motown. Yeah. And he released this kind of funky. The Four Seasons. I have a feeling the name Four Seasons might come up later. What do you reckon? <laughs> Go on. Anyway, um, just like I said, your man, Simon Susan, borrowed, stole, borrowed, whatever. That was a big rant. I'm sorry for going off. No, no, that's exactly what I wanted from this because I don't really know much about Northern Soul. Either the way, I just been around it a little bit. And uh, I have to say, the music is absolutely, I love it. I just love that higher tempo. It's the process of public elimination and never before has that happened in any genre of music. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So he he bootlegs 2,000 copies of this but changes the name to Eddie Foster, Do I Love You? Not Frank Wilson. Eddie Foster, Do I Love You? Hmm. And... It wasn't until Susan sold his record collection, about a year, I think a few years later, that it was discovered when they took the label off. This is a Frank. This is the original one was Frank Wilson. Mad. So it went through. A f- this was the one. This was literally only one of the copies that were it sold a few times. But the last time it was sold was I think it was around two thousand and seven. I could be wrong about that. It sold. Sorry, two thousand and nine. It sold to a private unnamed buyer for twenty over twenty five grand, twenty five grand, and it is speculated that the person who bought this was Frank Wilson himself. Really, strongly speculated that Frank Wilson bought it himself. Where did he get the money for that? If he fucking already knew about it, he's a mad producer. He's writing hits for everyone. He's, ah. he's oh, he's, he's fine. He never wants to be a singer. Didn't want to be. He he's just, writing. He's he's no. He's still on. He knew radical day. He knew, no, he's on Motown. He's still with Motown. Yeah. With Barry Gordy. He was at the time writing, writing and producing all the time. Oh, oh he's fine. No, he's fine. Like. Mm. So he passed away in 2012. <clears throat> Nobody will really know who bought um, that last well Unless we copy. go to his gaff right now. Yeah, no, I don't know where the, where the original copy, that could be the original copy that Susan, obviously he kept it maybe. Mm. I don't know. That's just, that's just, you know, this is just all, Rumor. It's all hearsay. Conjection. Hearsay. This is the Batman of music. So, so this song is this 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 forty five inch, forty five inch, forty five inch RPM. Jesus, (laughs) seven inch. Size of that record. Size of that record. Sore on that fucking thing. Imagine how good it would sound if we only had to play that. Each groove was centimeter wide. Joint machine to play that. Uh, You play it with a drill. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Do you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's the story about Frank Wilson's uh Do I Love You Indeed I Do. Uh one of the most now obviously people it's been repressed loads. Mm. It's been repressed loads. Um 
probably officially even now, maybe at this stage, you know, Motown, oh, did that good again? I don't know. I don't really know. So um, that is the end of my Frank Wilson story. That's a good story. So uh, what's your next one? Uh, kind of in the same vein as the last one, not quite. Um, I picked Shirley Ellis. And I picked the song Birds, Bees, Cupids and Bows. The only thing I know from Shirley Ellis is the clapping song? Yeah, the clapping song. Um, so Shirley Ellis was mostly known as a novelty act, um, which is something, uh, for some reason, I have great interest in novelty acts. Well, your first album was Joy of Bunny, so... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just in me, for some reason. No, I love that. I love that kind of niche kind of little it's weird. It's just little bit weird. garbage. But Shirley Ellis, for some reason, had this... Uh, even though they're novelty songs, they're so fucking amazing. Like her, she's known for the clapping song and for the name game. Yeah. You know, the name game got a big boost in the last couple of years because they done a version of a, an American Horror Story TV show. Um, that's all it needs. That's they done like a full reenactment of it. Whatever season, yeah. I think I can't remember what which version it was. They, they done a bunch of uh, songs and they had the cast sing them. It was like a musical. Um, season yeah and one of them they done it was angela lang is that her name the actress from it? i can't remember her name jessica um, lang jessica lang um doing a version of the name game now the name game is a fantastic song yeah it's super the clapping song is super it's really but good. she done a bunch of other stuff that is not quite as novelty she was known as a novelty act but i picked this this was actually a single this was released as a single but this would have been well past her prime um it's very hard to find songs of hers on Spotify. She put out a couple of albums, but it's very, very difficult to find her stuff. You will find uh, her biggest song is probably the Nitty Gritty, which has been I don't used. Know that one, it's actually. been using a bunch of ads. You'd know I'd if probably you heard know it. if I heard it. Yeah, I am. Um, and the clapping song, the name game, I don't think is on Spotify, which is real weird. Um, it might be there if there's a soundtrack for an American Horror Story, but it won't also be, might be named Something else sometimes that happens as well. Quite possibly. Yeah. But this song is very, very good. This is very different from the novelty stuff she put out in the past. It was a single, but it's as far as I'm concerned, it's completely and utterly overlooked. Now, she was born in 1929. So she was doing the rounds for a long, long time. She retired in 1968. And she died in New York City in 2005. So this song came out, this song came out in 1966. So this would have been, like I said, kind of past, kind of past her prime and her big novelty act kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, she was signed to Kappa Records, a subsidiary of Kappa Records called uh, Congress. And they had a bunch of big acts, uh, Fred Astaire, Burt Bacharach. They had Budgie, I would say. Um, oh, Cher, didn't Metallica cover Budgie? The Welsh yes. band? Yeah, yeah. The Welsh rock band? Yeah. There was a Bread fan. Didn't Bread fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Deadly song. So the, the Cher, Elton John, all this kind of shit. So she was on a, like a good record label. Yeah. She wasn't considered a novelty act. Um, I, I, I think what they thought about Shirley Ellis was that a lot of people liked her kind of bullshit clapping song, name game, nitty gritty. It's fun, fun, it's fun, fun, yeah. fun. Let's try and turn her, turn her into a serious artist. But like I said, this song came out in what sixty six, and she retired in sixty eight. It just at this time, work. a lot of these people like it's not really up to them to be creative in terms of their songwriting. They're getting songs written yeah, for them, a lot so of they time. really have to just kind a of, lot of times. Like this goes to, to Elvis as well. Yeah, she did have, have to she did have a songwriting partner, and it's just kind of fucking left me now. To be honest with you, yeah. um, who her songwriter part, songwriting partner was, I don't know whether they done anything too amazing. Right now, she started off as the singer. In another band, uh, a soul band, 
I think they might have been on Motown for a while, but they got released. And then she got picked up by kind of one of their, because she was kind of a castaway, one of the Motown, uh, one of their rivals kind of picked her up and that's where the novelty thing came from. But uh, I, I'll be honest with you, it, it's, it's not that it's difficult to find stuff on Shirley Ellis, it's just, she yeah. seemed to have two parts of her career. One was that she was doing a little bit of backing singing and she fronted a band and then it all turned to shit. She starts releasing these novelty songs and does kind of well and then she decides to have a crack at an actual straight career and it lasts about two years, maybe three yeah. and she's just out, knocks it on the head. Uh, dies in 2005 in New York City and that's really it. It's really hard to find her stuff You'll find seven inches for like the name game, the clap. Seems song. like an artist that the companies didn't know what to do with. They hadn't a clue what to do with her. Um, that song clearly you, talented. Very. If you listen to that song, Boardsby's Cupids and Bows, it's really, really good, and it absolutely holds up to anything else coming out around that time. Yeah. Um, you'll find maybe an album on Spotify and a little compilation with some stuff on it. Like you're talking about th- that stage, there those artists like that are hoping. For a big artist to drop a song yeah. to the record label, go don't want that, and they send it to someone. They they, they hopefully it trickles. Just get past and you get a hit. Yeah, yeah. It just gets past along. You're, you're that, hoping that, for that. Yeah, that's crazy. It's crazy. Um, that's Shirley Ellis. Uh, Boards B is Cupid's and Bows is the song. It's a little bit slower than some of her, some some of her other stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's it's equally as good as her novelty stuff, which is yeah. the second you hear her novelty songs, they're seared into your fucking brain. You can't, you can't get them out yeah. at all. Yeah. Right, what's your next one? My next one is Vivaldi. Really? Yeah. Um, I've, I've picked a song from the Four Seasons, uh, L'Estate, which is the summer section of the Four Seasons, mm-hmm. the third bit in G minor. This is uh, the version I picked, obviously... <laughs> Just before I went to classical music. But just before you even talk about this, I have to point out you are currently drinking a bottle of red wine. I am. Talking about classical music. I am. What happened? What happened to me? For where real? did it, where did it all go wrong? Do you remember we used to sit in your gaff in Glasnevin playing cards, drinking horrible cans, drinking piss cans, piss cans, absolutely like hosting pills, piss cans, like <laughs> the dirt, the cheapest <laughs> shit. Yeah, like sitting there doing basically this, not far off it. And now what? Six, sixteen, seventeen about, years later, talking about music and comics. We're actually. Asking yeah. people for money for it. For real. <laughs> and they're giving it to us. Ah, sticking her on you's public. <laughs> Saps. <laughs> no, but for real, give I, them, give when them I, money. When, when I was, I'm not, I'm going to just give an admission here. When I was young, even though I was mad into music, I didn't know how classical music worked mm. in terms of no re- one did. of recording. We didn't go to Belvedere like JJ72. I swear, right, I didn't understand how recording worked when I was maybe 11 or 12, 13. Mm. I thought a Vivaldi CD had Vivaldi on it. All right. Like he lived in it. Like. No, no, no. Like he was part <laughs> yeah, of Yeah, yeah, exactly. They, they yeah. somehow got the they, recordings they got from years yeah. ago. Like Naxos, someone from Naxos is listening going, <laughs> Now. That's Vivaldi there. Now I understand that mm. sheet music has passed down since. Yeah. <laughs> Decade, decade, decade. Classical music is essentially Centuries. as seen on television, yeah. right? Do you remember? But them? I didn't understand as a kid. I didn't understand I this of classical didn't. music. But you know the way you used to buy like albums when you were a kid, and it's like featuring hits such as blah 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 blah. Yeah. There wasn't the originals. There were no, covers. No, but some like fucking like a Welsh fucking band that were put together to play some garbage and they'd sell them for like five pounds. It was only genuinely when I really started to buy like or notice classical CDs around my gaff. I was like, oh right. Obviously, Vivaldi has been dead centuries, and he wasn't part of any recording because the 
ability to record didn't mm. exist. I was young and stupid. I was very thick as a kid. Very thick. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. And it hasn't really improved since then. Just so slightly. So anyway, with that said, this kind of bleeds into the story. So Antonio Lucci Vivaldi is obviously a very, very, very well-known Italian composer, virtuoso, teacher, priest, lover, fighter, and a knocker-knocker-out. And he's also whopper at Tekken Tag. Savage. Yeah. I'm so glad we got a joke into this. Who's your your Tekken boy? Who would you pick playing? Eddie Gordo. Really king for me. Oh, that's good. It's very hard if you... If, yeah. He's a very hard character to mm. master. Armor King if you want to be a spicy oh, cunt. If you're a spicy, spicy master. <laughs> a spice master playing Armor King. All, all those Tekken characters were, were King mixed with Nina. Yeah, Bertie Gordy was he... Uh, Bertie Gordy. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, no, it's happening, it's happening. Ah. Oh, the drink is kicking. I'm so glad because this podcast was getting very nerdy. It's mad drive. It was very nerdy. Ah, now God. the drink is pure kicking in now. I'm, t- I'm telling stories about me thinking Vivaldi was on the CDs, you could boy. He's talking about Barry Gordy doing one, two, three combos. <laughs> I'm dying. Oh, tell me about Vivaldi. No, let's get into this, right? Vivaldi was huge in his lifetime. So the, the idea of lost songs does come into it, but he was massive. He was absolutely massive. When he was at his like most... He's <laughs> yeah, No, he's mad skinny. Mad skinny. Mad skinny, lad. So skinny. Um, he was getting commissions from like European royalty. And the kind of downfall for him was when he met Emperor Charles VI, I think it's the sixth, he moved to Vienna hoping, because he was a priest and it was kind of a whole religious thing Sexy where he got, he got in with him. Just the thing about Valdi, he wasn't really all into the music. Mm. I think he had one, one slight fling with a woman. That's, a bit, that's all I can get from this. I wanted to find a bit of dirt and nothing. Were priests allowed fucking rail on much? This is before, this, no, this is before. Like, yeah. Anyway, so he moved to Vienna hoping for a royal, royal support. So that's how you'd get, you'd get, you, you, you hook in with them and they're, they're getting you writing stuff for them. You're yeah. sorted for the rest of your life. So you moved there. You essentially needed a sponsor, didn't you? Exactly, yeah, yeah. Or just, just some sort of commissions yeah. and, and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly, a sponsor though. So as soon as he moved to Vienna, Emperor Charles dies, leaving Vivaldi sort of fucked um, in terms of, they, they, they just don't rail at me for fucking this, lads. If you listen to this, going, that's not what happened in Vivaldi in seventeen hundreds. I doubt anybody listening that Lost Art is a classical music expert. Well, I'm doing my best here. I'm trying to bring a bit of classical and trying to bring a bit of fucking class into we this. We talked about doing a classical episode yeah. for ages. Yeah, we did. We did. So he was he, the, the one thing at this point. He was a massive influence on Bach. Now Bach was grand, but Vivaldi died very, very poor, hmm. and unmarried and very very poor so what happens is then there's no internet back then obviously that wouldn't want to be like there really isn't so your music can die yeah if people aren't if if your if your music is not popular so what happened was he was baroque and classical was really coming into it and stuff like that um so his stuff was dying off as he died so therefore vivaldi's music literally kind of went very 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 flat with everyone so it was 1741 that he died. I'm reading this because I wrote it down. I was only about two. I was only about, I'd say I was about six. Yeah. Yeah. So, Did what you happened? you have one of them big hoops you hit a stick with down through the street? Jeez, I couldn't afford one of them. Yeah. If, it was, if, it was, if it was a wheel that's going on some sort of vehicle that I didn't own. Yeah, no. Absolutely wouldn't own a vehicle wheel. No. <laughs> <laughs> there was a dog we used to kick though. 
Blackie. Blackie the dog. Whatever you call dogs, Blackie. Yeah, that's the real thing. That's that's up until a few years ago. Yeah, Blackie the dog. Blackie the dog. There's Blackie. Can't be doing that now. They can't be doing that now. You're not making me lose my spot. You're not making me lose my spot on my Vivaldi. Vivaldi dies penniless. Yeah. So his music sort of dies off. Yeah. Now there's probably a few people doing a little bit. He still he was incredibly popular at the time, but we're talking years and years and years where people are moving on to different styles. Vivaldi's music is fucking dead in the water. It just is. It just is. So. 1920s this is fucking 200 years later 200 years later right his sheet music was discovered in a monastery in Italy and it led to people going this is fucking this, is, this stuff is good now the thing about Valdi is he left a lot of notes beside his four seasons you ready seasons. for this I'm going to do something that's never ever been done before you going to play a bit of it I'm going to play it it's copyright free not this version isn't it yeah it is no the, the idea of the music is uh, yeah. royalty free yeah the sheet music free doesn't matter who plays it we're just having it sitting in the background. Absolutely throwing me off. <laughs> Are you sticking that under your own? It's this is one of my favourite bits of the four scenes. Mm. And the gas thing is, like, I'm not even a massive Vivaldi fan. I love Grieg. He's good, isn't mm. he? I love Grieg. He's good. Um <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm listening. You're such a cunt. I'm I'm liking this. This music? Yeah. Oh, it gets but yeah. by the end of it, he's just it's it's fin- fantastic. Now, I don't like all the Four Seasons. Yeah. That's why we mentioned Frank, Frankie Valley. <laughs> so, 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 in the 20s, the sheet music was found again. It is, I'm going to do that to you. We'll see how it gets removed. In the early 20th century, a guy called Fritz Kreisel mm. does the concerto and singing the style of Vivaldi and his reputation starts to come up again because okay. they have, they found the music again. It's, it's his time now mm. unfortunately it's 200 years later again but to be fair Vivaldi was alright you know mm. he had his time his music did die off he was trying to do a lot of operas and he he's prolific yeah. like when we say prolific now we think Killing Joke prolific mm. an album this lad was just Jesus every day he probably woke, probably woke up at like 7 in the morning and started doing a few operas a few piano pieces mm. so it started to get quite popular again in the 20s and that's kind of when Vivaldi and a lot of other artists as well started to kind of boom again. And that's why they found loads of his stuff. Four Seasons one of the, wasn't one of the ones that was found, but it was found then as a result. People went digging. Mm. Like like we're doing now, yeah. except way better at it and like, playing it. Good at it. Like. His music wasn't recorded until the 40s. And they're still finding... Well, I say they're still finding. 2006, I think, was the last time they found new Vivaldi. Mm. So the, the, bill, the, the, the version I picked was the Fabio Biondi version with a European Galante. This makes me sound very fucking snobby. I'm going to level with you. I don't really like loads of the popular versions. Your man, Nigel, what's his name? The the cook. Yeah, no. The chef. Looks, no, he looks like him. He's No, he's not. That's what, I used to mix them up as well. That's he so is, weird. There's a chef that plays fucking... He's not a chef as well, though, is he? Yeah. Nigel something. Plays the fuck. He's a chef, plays... Are you Lynn. sure he's a chef? 100%. On the telly, lad. He was on the telly. I guarantee you. Is he going to have a big lump on his neck from playing the film? <laughs> no, you he check had this, a big lump you on check, his neck. No, this is the lad that got the big lump on his neck. This is the good Nigel. Now, there's a version that everyone loves by him, but I picked this one because every time I listen to Vivaldi Four Seasons, there's all really, really fucking harsh violins. But I like this. It's also bringing it back to Italy again. The Fabio Biondi version with... Uh, Nigel Kennedy. Nigel Kennedy? Yeah. He's not a chef. He's a fucking chef, chap. Is he? Yeah. I always thought that was me making... like No, thinking, no, no, no. Look at Nigel Kennedy... 
Hang he on. Is a, I, I thought I was absolutely having a stroke years ago when I thought that. And I went, delete that from your brain. He wasn't a chef. Now, hang on a second. Hang on. And let me just get, get all this right here now, right? I'm, I, he has to be a fucking chef. No, me? you're making the same mistake I did. He wore a white top buttoned across no, like a chef. There can't be two lads that done all that. You're mixing him up with like can't. Heston Blumenthal or something. No, that's way, way before him. Nigel Bleeding Kennedy is a violin player. Player. Where is he going to get time to make the perfect chips? I'm not I'm trying to find out here now. I'm just oh, looking for the word thing. chef. I'm looking for the word chef like a fucking prick. It would be right. in the first few lines of the Wikipedia. We're researching on the fly here, lads. I, I have to know. No. He has to be. It's not. I made that mistake. Didn't he do like, he'd be like frying an egg and playing the piano or whatever he's doing. You're having a full on stroke right now. I know, I'm the drink, out. The drink has probably kicked in. Like and also, it's kind of cold where we are and I'm taking my top off and I'll tell you why. The drink is kicking in. The drink is kicking in. <laughs> the drink is kicking in. Nigel Candy Sweating is not a chef. I had to say, he wears... He wears <laughs> this top that look makes him look like a chef. He went out with uh, Marky Smith's ex. Hang on. And she taught me we'll how to fry an egg. Here now. Politics, hang on. This is banana. It's, it's not. Why didn't you type in Nigel Kennedy chef into Google if he you're going to do that? He crack out in Poland, I think, for Politics. So did you. He's a socialist. Hang on. <laughs> He's not a chef. He's not a chef. Hang on. He has to be a he chef. He has no time to be a chef. Anyway... The re- the, Come on, the, tell me about the, the, the re- <laughs> Who knows the candy? No, I'm sorry. That's so weird that I thought he was a chef as well for a while. He wears clearly a chef looking top. This has oh, gone. I thought he was a chef. This has gone awry. This has gone completely awry. Anyway, the reason that Vivaldi, four seasons, maybe not as much four seasons, but some of the other stuff went 200 years as a lost song. There's <laughs> <laughs> people listening to this right now going, I'm, Wouldn't you just edit this out? Don't ever do don't classical music ever again. No. Because first of all, you think half of them are chefs. Second of all, you think Vivaldi's on the CDs when you're a teenager. He's on the CDs. He's on a CD. Somehow recorded digitally. <laughs> I'm moving on. Vivaldi was... A lot of his music was missing for 200 years. He's in the lost song category. Now... Who's your next one so I can absolutely <laughs> fuck you up on this? I don't really have too much investment in my next one. Uh, Here's me doing so much research. No, because we'll, we'll, we were talking about that. I got a, a text message at me, Mrs. saying that she's going to throw me clothes into the bin because I left them all out. Because we recorded a video earlier. I was yeah. like, I'm going to put a nice short on. But I'm a big fat cunt. So none of my shorts fit me anymore. Yeah, so I tried on about cunt. I tried on about six shorts and all of them are like up to my belly button and all. Like I not only did I like my mid range get bigger, like I feel like I grew about <laughs> eight inches and my arms turned into a orangutan. Do you know what I hate when you're you know, like we can hide, we can suck in the gut, but when you feel it on the back of the shoulders, yeah, that's what it was. How do you suck them in? <laughs> that's just How do you suck no, the that's, shoulders that's, in? That's you just getting hench, lads. That's all no, it is. No, it's not. <laughs> it is like, it's the fuck shut up. We've nowhere else to go. We might as well go up to his back. I literally tried on about six shorts. Thinking, oh, I'm going to make a video. I look nice. Right? I wore a Sisters of Mercy T-shirt for our. our, our uh, yeah, you did. I wore a, a, a triple XL hoodie from Pennies. Oh, yeah, that, that kind of a fuck. That, that I washed it. No, because here's the problem: if you buy an XL anything out of Pennies, it becomes a medium. Yeah, that's not. That's, yeah, uh, well, so listen, yeah. you know what you're getting into when you buy Pennies. Yeah, and also don't be don't be listening to your missus. Like, just <laughs> let her try. Let her try our clothes out. She's tr- in anger. She's throwing your shit in. She's actually throwing myself in the bin as we speak. Lads, we need more patrons for Garth to buy new shorts <laughs> now. Clothes that fit me. Who is your uh, fourth one? I don't remember. I picked a band called the Revels, and I picked a song called Conga Twist. Don't know anything about them. Tell me about this. Right. Sounds like a punk band, but doing a conga no, twist. No, it's not. Um, the Revels 
would be mostly known as being part of the kind of California surf music phenomenon. Exactly. However, they predate it by an awful lot. Really? So uh, it would have been kind of mid, mid-late 60s, the surf phenomenon hits, and it's all the fucking surfing USA bullshit that you've heard a thousand million times. You'll have your Dick Dales, you'll have your fucking Beach Boys, you'll have all that malarkey happening. Uh, the Revel started in 19, the mid-1950s with the same style of music. This would have been a good bit before Beach Boys and all that. Even. Yeah, this would have been almost 10 years before Beach Boys were getting big uh, with rip-off songs. Oh, ooh, lifted songs. And, and then they uh, try to do Pet Sounds and get slagged over. Get slagged, and it's still one of the greatest albums ever made. Of course it is. Uh, so, yeah, so in the, in the 60s, there's, there's a thing called the surf music craze, which is... Uh, It'd be a bit like the 90s boy band phase of... Isn't it mad what you think about the boy band phase of back then? You go, those were the like the boy band mm-hmm. back then. You're like, they're all wearing all their clothes. And yeah. none, none of them are gay. And they're all in shy as well. So, like, <laughs> like, like might be one halfway decent that, looking one. That big mallet-headed fucking ugly cunt was the best looking one. Yeah, and he wrote all the best songs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they started They started in the, in the mid-50s. But by the 60s, they were kind of... They would have been included in this craze. Now, the Rebels only released one album. One. Um, and it's I like one. We were going to do one and done at one, one stage, weren't yeah. we? We'll, we'll do it. We will do it. The stage. album is called Rebels on a Rampage. Um, they started in high school. They released... Uh, like uh, like the Ramones. Yeah, would have been. <laughs> and uh, the Rock and Roll High School. The Surf Music High School. Uh, they released a single called Six Pack in 1959, which would have been very much a proto Black flag song, yeah, but it's P A K for some reason. <laughs> I don't, I don't. Oh, get it. really? Yeah, it's weird. Uh, six pack, nineteen fifty nine. Nothing to do with black flag at all. Nothing to do with black flag. Black flag were living in their dad's balls at this stage. I think ideas of yeah. ideas of having a ride. Exactly. Um, there were seven black flags thrown down the sink. Exactly. Multiple <laughs> black flags ran down fucking mutt chains before this happened. What's that? Even six pack. Way? Jesus Christ I'm like, Six pack uh, One album Six pack <laughs> oh. I, I, I'm now You know what $24 stop. six pack To my name Two Six pack. pack It's not even a good song um, Mike Patton covered that He did For the, uh, 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 the, the Memphis Tree yeah. Whatever it's, yeah, yeah It's a great album Oh fuck it Give me a Z It's uh, real hard to find online actually Because I wanted to use it before On vinyl or CD On even Spotify I might have that on CD. I have it on CD. All right. It doesn't exist on LP, I don't think. I did the, uh, f- the official DJing, the official launch party of the movie in oh, the Button Factory. That's why cool. I have a copy of it. Anyway. It's, it's a great CD. Yeah, it is. Um, it has the best version, the little sidetrack before and I all go is back. On it. Yeah, everyone's on it. The greatest cover, the greatest Black Flag song is, uh, to my mind, is Police Story and they got Ice Tea to do it. That's and really fucking good. So good. Yeah, it is. Anyway, Anyway, we're not Rebels, talking about that. We're not talking about iced tea or. Uh, I keep going to grab you a bottle of wine and drink it, mate. No, Have a go of it. No, I'm from the north side. I can't drink it. I'm from the north side. No, you're not. What are you talking about? You're from like Blanchetown. That's the north side. That's not. Oh, whatever. No, I'm not doing it. It's too far out, lad. Right. We've gone. Unless we've you can gone, walk to town in 20 minutes. Right. First of all, we went Arroy. Now we've gone rogue. We've gone absolutely off the charts. Anyway, and six pack loads left is a to single. do. I know. Let's do it before I need another piss. Six pack, 1959. Six pack. The band ends when all of them are drafted into the military. Drafted in? Yeah. Holy shit. They all get drafted into the fucking... Uh, Not like Elvis still where you kind of hung around. No, they photos. all get drafted into the military. Now, we all know the military is just jail with more running. 
So that's the yeah. end of fucking uh, the Rebels. Uh, a lot of their stuff didn't really. It just kind of got obscurely fucking dissipated into time until a best of of the Rebels was elite, released in 1994. Um, like I said, one album and a couple of singles, and that was fucking it. But they essentially. Not necessarily invented surf music, but they were absolutely riding the crest of the wave. Kill yourself. Wait Kill later. yourself Wait later. Till we finish. Kill yourself after When that. we finish this podcast, I might just do that. I'm sick of you, you wine-drinking fucking cunt. Hi, I'm here on the Lost Star podcast <laughs> on my own because <laughs> yeah. Gar's mad dead. And I'm going to get this well done in half an hour. Right, what's your next one? My next one is... We talked about, we did a video earlier on uh, the Cambodian sort of rock scene. Mm. Cambodian music scene in general is, is really, really, really interesting to me. I've always been sort of interested in Cambodia since I saw Killing Fields at an age, at an age where I definitely shouldn't have watched yeah. Killing Fields. Me too. Just whatever way. I've seen that as a young fella, it fucked me up. It fucked, it fucked me up. Killing Fields fucked me up real bad. And since then I had this thing in my head about Cambodia and wanting to know more about it. So, um, the Cambodian music scene, the, the song I picked is Ros Sarasota, Chanam Dop Pramui. I'm going to, Jesus, if there's someone from Cambodia listening to this, absolutely free to correct me. But also be there's happy. No. Also be there's happy no. that I'm, I'm, I'm giving this a go. Also, the, the politics section of this is very patchy for me. I'm not really in, that much into the politics of it. We're going to talk about the music of, of Cambodia in the 60s and 70s. It was huge. It was um, just a huge sort of French mm, section of Cambodia. Be, yeah. You know what I mean? So they were listening to a lot of French music, but also they had their own style of doing it. So in, in the 60s and 70s, Cambodia had this really interesting fucking sort of psych- it could be psychedelic ballady stuff. They had everything. They were, they were just doing music. That sounds the most pretentious thing I've ever said. They were just doing music. Did you know what I mean? They were just doing tunes, music. Or? But they were doing every single style. And uh, Roz Sarasota was one of the biggest stars of Cambodia next to Sin Sissima. He would have been a guy that would do every style as well, yeah. really. He was kind of like the Frank Sinatra of Cambodia at the time or whatever like that. Probably, that's probably a better example. But she would have been maybe the Kate Bush because she had a super high-pitched voice hmm. but a really unusual style, which, which is why she stood, up, stood out on the compilations that I would have gotten a few years ago when I was really getting into it so Phnom Penh is obviously the capital of uh, Cambodia and that's where all the music scene was kicking off it was becoming quite westernized even then which is not a bad thing some would say oh I hope a bit of communism comes into that country (sighs) if you look back on the videos of the gigs around Phnom Penh back then the suits the, the, the dresses the style they were just so incredible looking and the musicians were just doing whatever they felt like that was popular at the time. The music just sounds... its I can't put my finger on why I love Cambodian music. Mm. In modern modern Cambodian music, which, which I'm talking about is 60s, not modern now. They would have been massively influenced musicians then by like Cliff Richard, The Shadows, and uh, even Santana and stuff like that. That's what they would have been getting then under... Just like the ocean. Not that one. Not that not? one. No. That's the only song he has. No, no. He's got good songs before no. he sold. Not sold out. Oh, God, never get this. They sold out. Remember, we done a podcast yeah. about that. Jeez. But listen, they still kept a lot of the Cambodian style of music in it, which was kind of really cool. That's what makes it that kind of like, almost like a little bit like the Nigerian thing where they had an influence of that. So, 
obviously there's war happening right be, right on their doorstep mm. in Vietnam. So what happened was they were able to pick up the youth of that that kind of day were able to pick up transmissions from the American army. All right. And they started listening to then stuff like Wilson Pickett. And the music got a bit like, this is crazy. Mm. So that would have been genuinely Wilson Pickett. I'm not being fucking, I could be wrong. Would have sounded like Slayer and Megadeth. Yeah, like Mad Heavy was super aggressive. Yeah. We've talked about super Wilson in the past. Yeah. One of my top 10 songs of all time. Did, 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 mm. They were listening to this going, this is mad wild. Mm. It's not aggressive. It's just no, but it would have been wild. wild. Yeah, absolutely. Wild is probably the yeah. best way I can. Yeah. So they're, they're, even their music back then would have got like that. Sin Sismith was like their their top guy mm. back then. And even he would be even trying a bit of this as well. He'd go a bit of rock. And even then he'd be sti- still trying to touch on actual Cambodian old style of, of their of their kind of stuff. So the big hitters, I think, back then, from what I gather, were himself, Roz say Roz Sere Sathia, I'm really bad at pronouncing these names, Pan Ran and Hoi Mea. So these were just killing it with singles. This was on the radio all the time. This was Cambodia's own. This was their their style of music. Mm. So they were a neutral country at the time. I don't really want to get too much into their their prints and stuff like that and what happened to them. But it bled over. So they they were still they had to still fight the Khmer Rouge, which were coming in slowly through the the eastern Cambodian jungles. Is is was what I'm getting here from this. I watched there's a documentary called. Uh, don't think I've forgotten. And it's I, I was tracking it down for a long time. I tried to buy it at least six times last year really? and Amazon wouldn't let me without an American address and credit card. I uh, couldn't buy a copy online because they wouldn't send it to me for some reason. But only in the last couple of days when I was I really wanted to talk about the Cambodian thing and I wanted to do it this badly. Mm. I wanted to do it this badly as I'm doing it now. <laughs> and I'm nailing it. I'm nailing how badly I'm doing it right now. Listen, no, seriously. This documentary, I finally got my ha- hand on it and it is so fucking well made and I'm so happy about how great it is because it really touches on the politics of the era, which I really don't want to get really bogged down in. Mm. The Civil War broke out. People that were actual musicians, like you were saying with, with the rebels, they, they joined the army. Yeah. So, America starts bombing the shit out of parts of Cambodia mm. and the border. A, yeah. Apparently, half a million people die. Fuck. Now, that's not going to come up in American history books cause, or, or, or English history books. And they, England and America did nothing wrong ever. No. Lovely, lovely, lovely people. Great people. Great <laughs> They are great people. What are you talking about? Wasn't me. Listen, the Khmer, the, the the Khmer Rouge took Phnom Penh, and that is when a lot of people, even even then, thought, "Oh, this is a good thing for mm. us." You know what I mean? It wasn't because, well, it, it, I don't, I don't, I personally don't think it was. No, it definitely fucking wasn't. <laughs> Paul Pot? No, it definitely fucking no, wasn't. It I think right. we can. I think we can establish that that was not fucking good for him. No. Um, a lot of people weren't into it like they went after everything western religion yeah music these people that I'm talking about now were killed Oof. now there's no hard evidence that they were killed yeah but their family are pretty sure that they that were killed gone, yeah. yeah and their and their children were killed Ugh. and all of their master tapes were burned uh. and all of their films because these were these were uh, movie stars as well it was like really? the exact same as America your Elvis Little your Frank Sinatra gone. you're going into the into the films as well like that Fuck. just copying it 
all burnt, all killed. Now, the people that fled just before it were the ones that brought the records with them. Okay. So just before this, really, really, really fucking lovable. It's it's actually really lovable, this, this uh, uh, Cambodian music. They kind of got it repressed and stuff like that. So that's where we get the the modern interpretations of those songs. Yeah. And I say that because they are the singers doing it, but apparently there was loads of extra bits added to them because they were a lot slower. Sort of like when they were repressed, they were adding like drums. Like, mm. you know, we'd be great. Add a bit like drums. Yeah, yeah. Stuff. So original pressings of the Cambodian stars now are just are almost yeah. impossible to even get. Can't even get stuff like that. This is, I don't, I, I really love, you do a whole podcast on the Cambodian mm. scene, but because you'd have to break into the whole Civil War Khmer Rouge, which is just too grim to get into. Yeah. Because it's, as you know yourself from watching those movies and documentaries, the Cambodian thing was disgustingly grim. Yeah. What they did to those people and wiped out. I know that they t- think they were wiping out Western culture in Cambodia. But generations of people. Not just people, but the, the, their style, culture, their style yeah. of their music was yeah. still their music. Yeah. Generations of people and culture. People, are, people and culture, yeah. literally. And everyone had to become this kind of communist farming drone yeah. nothing else yeah. and that's it yeah. now a tiny music scene popped up within their commu- the communist scene which was only songs about being a communist and working Jesus in the fields Christ. and if you listen to some of those songs there's no artistry in them no. it's just grim and some of the people now what some of the people what a lot of musicians did where they went they went along with it and went oh yeah um, we're, we're musicians if you want us to, to do uh, your horrible Ugh. fucking Chain gang songs, yeah. Forced fucking fucking folk, labor folk songs, songs. Yeah. yeah. Forced Absolutely. folk songs, yeah. About, yeah. About fucking being a uh, uh, what would they call it? Um, a member of their fucking society and uh, you know adding to the the general. Um, what's the fucking word for it? Um, well, the drink has taken all of your words from it. No, it's, it's gone. All of the way drink deletes important words from the, your vocabulary. There's, there's especially a word that over, sums everything espe- up for me. Especially over six letters. The drink is killing that word. <laughs> it's deleting. Uh, you know what? You know what drink does, right? It goes to your brain and goes, it goes, it's four letters yeah, or less. less. It, yeah. it does the thing. You know when you're, you know, it fucks you. You know, yeah. when you're, you know when you're trying to clear out your hard drive and you click. Size, foil size first, yeah. and you go, right, what did he, th-? that's what your brain does with, with words. Yeah, exactly. That's why, our, this was a very important podcast to me to do, and I've semi fucked it up. No, no, I think we're doing well here. No, I okay. Think we're, we're, we're taking serious stuff and making it there. Uh, Listen, really, really, really fucking horrible shit happened under the Pol Pot regime. Let's not talk about Margaret Thatcher during that, uh, except just to say about Margaret Thatcher that, um, I'm glad she's fucking dead. <laughs> I'm glad she's a horrible dead cunt. <laughs> Margaret Thatcher, you're a horrible dead cunt. Oh, Lord. She yeah. was all right with Pol Pot. I th- yeah, I think they were tight. Happy days with Pol Pot. Tight. Glad two of those cunts are dead. Tight. So listen, let's shoot to... Let's get over the grimness. Because if you really want to know more about... Just watch any documentary about Cambodia and then... Watch uh, The Killing Fields and oh, make up your own mind. There's a little story about The Killing Fields at the very end of the story that I'll go into. And it, it comes down to... Um, but it's, in 1979, the Vietnamese troops retook Nang. Yeah. Or sorry, Phnom Penh, apologies. And the Cambodian people who were fled and survived were urged to return, including the musicians. Mm. The, the musicians weren't there. They were dead or else. Some people say they just didn't want to get into a trap where they would. Because there was still a huge amount of Khmer Rouge yeah. sympathizers. And support for them, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were gone till 1998. 
I read something about that recently. Well. They were still going till '98, the Khmer Rouge. So you think about like when Radiohead album, we're always talking about, was released, mm. the Khmer Rouge and the Sympathizers were still a thing. So a lot of people returned, and they did, they did, they did kind of st- start a tiny music scene back again, which now has blossomed again, obviously because it will. Cambodia will always kind of do that. That's the fuck, that, sounds fu- that, that sounded fucking stupid, but I really mean that. If you watch, if you watch a lot about Cambodia, the, the fucking absolute strength of the people from that place is, is, is incredible. Hard fuckers, they really are. So the reason I think a lot of people may not have died that they thought died is because they just did not want to go back there and cut into yeah. a trap. Just fucked off. Let's move to the movie Killing Fields, right? Yep. Now the actor in that, the main, the yep. main uh, Cambodian actor. Hoing S. Nyor. I, th- I'm, I'm, I remember. Again, yeah. not going to do it. He was killed in 1996 outside um, his house in Chinatown in Los Angeles. Really? Yeah, he was murdered. And was it, it sympathizers or was it surrounding? No, this, this is where they don't know. Three gang members were done for it. However, someone from the Khmer Rouge imprisonment. No, we, we put the hit out of him. Oh, man. That was... They said that... That's art imitating life and life imitating it's, art. It's, it's fucking... It's back and forth. Now that, if you watch The Killing Fields, that dude... Jesus Christ, mm. that movie is so incredible and his acting mm. is absolutely outstanding. It's just one of the grimmest films you'll ever see but unfortunately, rare, it's, rare. it's not even... doesn't even touch the surface of what actually oh, yeah, happened, yeah, yeah. happened there. It's one of the rare DVDs I still own. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, I own a copy as well and, yeah. the, and the soundtrack. I think Marconi was... No, oh, I can't remember. No. The, the, cop, the copy I have is, is a was garbage it? fucking bullshit one. I don't I know who it was. I soundtrack. Was Marconi? I don't know. No, maybe not. I could be wrong. But um, if you want to watch more of that, if you watch The Killing Fields, but watch the doc- if you want to know about more about the music, watch the documentary, Don't Think I've Forgotten. Now, if you can get someone from America to get you a copy of it, that's probably the only real way. It's, it's quite a difficult one to get. Like that documentary about Jane Clark that took me ages to mm. get on DVD. Once I find out there's a DVD that I need to get about a documentary and it has more and it's getting gets hunted full on traction, I'm getting it. And I got that finally during the week and it is as exhilarating and exciting as it is fucking grim. So that's the, that's my absolutely rudimentary, awful version of what happened <coughs> to Roz Sarasota from fucking um, Cambodia. And all the... It, you know what? It wasn't even that. It wasn't even that westernized that they killed her for. It obviously had guitars and that was, was like, is it about uh, doing the fields? No, you're dead. You're dead. Kill you. Gone. Uh, thanks for that. Let's let's move on to something. Hopefully, a little bit more. Mister Blobby. Mister Blobby. Who's yeah. your Who's your next one? Mister Fucking Blobby. Uh, my next one is. I got a bit emotional there. Big fan of fucking Cambodia. Big fan of Cambodia. Should we go? We should do a live podcast in Cambodia. If I'm we, absolutely going to go there. If we have anybody who listens, who wants us to Probably go to Barry. Cambodia. Barry, are you in Cambodia right now? No. One of those places. He's in Vietnam, isn't he? He's in Vietnam. It's on the border. Close enough. I think he wants to go to Cambodia. I'm not sure. So, uh, my next one is Keith Hartley is his name. Okay. Uh, the Keith Hartley Band. The song is called Sinning For You or Sinning For You. Um, Sinning For You. Sinning For You. Uh, this is a weird one. So, Keith Hartley is a drummer, and the Keith Hartley band is like a drummer led band. Now, imagine a drummer thinking he can have a drummer led <laughs> yeah. band. Uh, the fuck? How this is kind of lost was that Keith was one of the few English people to play Woodstock, and he is one Cleared of. Including Jimi Hendrix. Kind of. 
Might as well be English. Um, yeah, true. Post English. <laughs> and um, Keith, the Keith Hartley band were one of only two bands that played Woodstock that didn't have their audio recorded. Oh shit! Yeah, I so did not realize that they all had it. They recorded everybody. Right, wow. everyone got recorded except for Keith. They must have been on at eight o'clock in the morning. There was a weird thing where almost every band to the first, if I remember correctly, almost every act on the first day of Woodstock were late because of traffic. Right, right. Climate change protest, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. So everyone who played Woodstock, I think, on the first day, the first half of the first day, was all kind of rearranged and reorganized. And there were a bunch of a bunch of acoustic acts acts that played Woodstock, um, kind of early on that were supposed to play midway through or the second day, but they were made to play because the bands couldn't make it in the time. It's cool bands that even got helicoptered in. I think like the Rolling Stones got helicoptered in. Of course they did. Yeah, um, but a bunch of them got helicoptered in because the, the roads were just blocked. All this yeah. kind of shit. But Keith Hartley is one of only two. The other band was a band called Quill. Now, Quill, Quill, to be honest with you, were my original choice right. for this. Yeah, I had a few original choices that I found, based on the the stories I, was, I knew I wanted to read into, I saw something else and went, yeah. oh, this well, could be more... The, the, the main reason was, on initial inspection, I couldn't find Quill on Spotify. Now, that's not to say they are not there, but um, it was, it was, there's a bunch of bands called Quill, and there's only one Keith, K-E-E-F. Hartley, right? Keith. Um, so it was 1969, he plays Woodstock. So the only audio at the time recorded, this is, it's real fucking weird. Okay, so it's not that he wasn't recorded at Woodstock. This, it's so complicated and fucking fucked up. This is the story. <laughs> this is the story. He was recorded, but the audio was never, ever released. The same with Quill. Right, Quill were recorded, but the audio was never released. Now, apparently, there was a problem with the mixing desk, and it led to that they knew when they were doing the Woodstock Festival that they were going to release there was an too album. Too much hash and jip in it. Yeah, and LSD and fucking jip and bikers killing people. So, no, that wasn't Woodstock. Was I know that was another. That one. was the, the other Rolling Stones. The other one, yeah, Arlington, Arlington, where they heard the as the security, yeah, grimness, That's a different as well. podcast. double grimness. And uh, so it was recorded, but it was never released cause, because there was a problem with it. The same with Quill. Um, there was a problem with the mixing desk. So every other band and every other act, I believe, that played Woodstock were put onto the Woodstock album. That yeah. was released, I think, within a year of the actual festival happening. Um, Keith Hartley studied under the same teacher as Phil Collins. Right. They had the same drum teacher. And uh, he was tipped to be one of the next big things but I, I don't he couldn't get a fucking band together properly or whatever fucking happened he ended up right, I'll be the band leader I'll do the fucking singing I'll do the drumming I'll eagles the shit out of it and um, it's it's interesting what happened to him afterwards he had no recorded material he didn't have an album he didn't have a single before he played Woodstock he had nothing right he was just on Woodstock what because the he got on the bill well th- apparently because he was touted to be one of the next big deals he got invited to be on, nice, the, on the right. festival. So 
the only recording and he was like, material. You know what? I'm glad I didn't record it. Yeah, because exactly. these lads are gonna do it for me for free. For free, yeah. Except there was loads of flowers and jip in, in the in the mixing desk. So <laughs> <laughs> flowers and jip. Um. So yeah, he he goes out and he does a set. Um. It is recorded, but it's not released. Now this material. This is where it gets weird. The material that he recorded during Woodstock was only released a couple of years ago. Really? Yeah. How did they get it? Finally, somehow, some way, the master tapes <laughs> wiped all the chip. Fucking, they cleaned the chip off it. Fucking <laughs> scraped it off. It was old. Um, got the fucking alcohol solution out and the cotton buds cleaned it off. Um, so yeah, nineteen sixty nine. He plays it, plays the gig. It's recorded. It's never released because there's something wrong. But eventually, there's a box set released called uh, "Back to the Garden." And he, he put out a couple of albums afterwards. Right. I, I don't think they were... They, they weren't big by any stretch of the imagination. But they finally, in this box set, Back to the Garden, they released... Um, I don't know whether it was all of it, but some of the original Woodstock recorded material. Um, he he put a couple of albums out after... Like is I said, he still they alive? Went, uh, I don't know if Keith is still alive. Might got a few quid from the... He may have. I think that album... That box set was released in the early early mid two thousands. I'm not entirely sure. I'd have to check. Uh, Few Bob, yeah, done Few Bob in the post office. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the fucking. The, the, well, to be fair, that bring your your social welfare down. Maybe oh, Few Bob. Yeah, yeah, careful, careful, Keith. Don't don't rat out. Careful, careful. Do not rat out, Queef. 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 Stop! I can't because I was trying to read the word quill and I mixed quill and Keith. And I think it's the first time we've ever mentioned the word Queef on here. So years. I'm sure there's people going, these guys know a couple of things about music, but they keep talking about funny farts. What well, is wrong did, with these people? Because we're from Dublin, right? We're, we're all scale hard people. Well, oh, God, we're, we're, we have to pretend not to be from Dublin. This is our thing. This is my new thing. Right, let's do it. Um, God, tell me yeah, about that's it, your yeah. next selection. Yeah. We need a mad neutral accent. Fascinating. Hello. Well, the most neutral accent is the Dublin accent. Do you reckon? Oh, I think it might be a bit too spicy. We have really too much flavour in No, it. the neutral Ireland accent is apparently one of the most neutral accents in the world, which is why we have so many... Like our man, the baddie in Sherlock Holmes. But which is, yeah, well, yeah, but yeah. which is why we have so many people going to the TEFL thing. TEFL? Teaching English as a foreign language. <gasps> That's just a bit like them frying pans. <laughs> TEFL. TEFL. <laughs> TEFL. <laughs> No, apparently Ireland has one of the most neutral accents. I know I'm absolutely wrecking really? your story here. I, I, I'm nearly, I, I feel it's, like it's, it's I, done, I feel like I'm running thin. No, yeah, I am. <laughs> That's pretty much it. I, I mean, I can do what I normally do and just say everything I said already again. Yeah, in a um, different way. With, with, in, a, in a slightly yeah, different way. Yeah. But yeah, Keith Hartley, Sinning for You is the song. Song's all right. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. It's grand. It's just a fucking song. Uh, the interesting thing... But it was a lot of song. It was. Um, for a the, long time the interesting thing is that him and Phil Collins had the same drum teacher and he was touted to be the next big thing hence him being on Woodstock it is recorded it's never released and apparently in, <laughs> I'm gonna make I think there was up. only maybe three English acts on I can keep in Hartley band singing for you oh lord <laughs> Um, oh god yeah that that's pretty much all I have to say I have a lovely little picture I drew underneath it that looks like Ska mixed it's kind of uh, like backgammon meets Ska yeah, it's very nice. you, you, yeah I saw you drawing that while, yeah. I was, while I was trying to backgammon get my stuff about Vivaldi out when you were yeah. wrecking my buzz yeah I just um, and we started talking about Tekken uh, 
Tekken, yeah. I'd love to talk more about Tekken. Is there another podcast that ever happened in the entire history of No, podcasts I'm just going to go away with it. Where someone was trying to talk about Vivaldi and went full Tekken. We talk about like Armored King, was someone Armored talking about King. classical music. Yeah, I, don't, I, I doubt it. Uh, but this is the longest podcast ever. It's not though. No, it's so not. what's your next one? My last one is uh, number six. It's William Onibior. We're going back to Nigeria Funk. Deadly. This song is called uh, Good Name. It's 1983. William Onibior is a strange enough character in the sense that the funk scene back then was quite tight. Everyone knew each other. They did know William, but he was kind of a keep-to-himself kind of guy. It's kind of interesting. He's almost an international man of mystery. He had... His music style is kind of this huge, uh, synthesized, repetitive, sort of uh, epic, very, very long funk songs. And it did stand out completely different to the stuff, other stuff that was happening in Nigeria, kind of stuff like that. He, he was born into kind of like... Um, he was born into a poor family... And the stories about early William Onibior are kind of very, very patchy. And even the later stuff is is even patchier as well, to be perfectly honest with you. Apparently, what he did was, just before we get into his music career, apparently what he did was, as, as a student, there's two stories, one of which may be true. He either went to study film in Russia or he went to study law in England, in Cambridge. Mad. Oh, either one of them was mad. Either one of them was mad. Well, no. Not, not mad in what terms of... What year is this? This is 83. Oh, okay. So in Nigeria, the, 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 yeah, yeah. a lot of people go... Oh, Civil War, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is, yeah, this is a little bit after your, your, your guy that you, you were talking about earlier. Ify. Ify. Um, I reckon Ify was ropey. I don't know, but I don't know whether William was a bit ropey mm. either. Let's talk about William right now. Now, his music is absolutely, incredibly interesting. It really, really is. There's a little tiny... I was about to say the name of the people who made the documentary. I will never mention their names on here. Um, there's a documentary on YouTube about William and like Damon Albarn and stuff are on it. Yeah. They're all talking about it. Ah, oh, fuck it. It's voice, whatever. I'm not. I've reference voice. I'm not against voice. I, I liked voice way back in the day when I started. But they used to be brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, they were great. before they had their own TV channel and all. Oh that. God, what did they do? To yeah. that? And and also their their blogs and stuff like that. Mm. And they were going batshit. He was born into a kind of a poor enough family, but his studio, when he came back from his studies, was incredibly sophisticated for Nigeria at that time in the sense that he had a massive, and you can tell this from just his album covers alone, mm. a massive amount of synthesizers. And a lot of people in the Nigerian kind of scene were kind of like, where did you even get those synthesizers? And where did you get all them? And where did you get all those microphones? And and mm-hmm. and where did you learn all these recording techniques? Because he was actually a little bit, in terms of looping stuff, and almost a precursor to dance music, that mm-hmm. kind of like repetitive kind of stuff like that. He was doing that in Nigeria like a long time before a lot mm-hmm. of people were doing it. Um, he didn't, like I was saying, the kind of scene in Nigeria was kind of tight knit but everyone kind of knew him but he didn't go to the parties he didn't really play live with anyone else so they were kind of like he was kind of like a, a kind of mythical kind of character they knew of him they knew his music was very 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 good and it is mm. really really a little bit really good like it genuinely is really really good the song I picked is 10 minutes long there is absolutely no need for the song to be 10 minutes long yeah absolutely just no. repetitive there's a reason I put it at the end of the 
playlist mm. or the reason he's coming up now is because I had to put his song at the end of the playlist because 10 minutes I didn't want to stick a 10 minute long song yeah, at the start at the of our playlist yeah. um, some people have a, a sort of theory that he was commissioned by Russian backers really? from his time in Russia and they may have given him a few quid to make music that doesn't make any sense well it it could if you, if I was to make up a story right now, which I could. Do what? Well. Someone over he he was over doing. Okay, I'll make make up a story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Invent some bullshit okay. for me. Hit me with your scooter. This is interesting. Okay, never done this before. Let's do this. So let's say he was studying film in Russia, mm. and they needed music for oh music for a film. Yeah, and he went, I'll do that. Just give me, a, yeah, I'll, I'll make it. Whatever. Nigerian people are quite resourceful. They are very resourceful. In fact. In, the term, yeah. in terms of if something needs to get done they'll, they'll try and do it yeah really may not be much different so maybe he recorded a quick you're making me make up shit on the spot this is yeah, incredible let's this, do this let's this do what this I want. this is what I want <laughs> I have actual facts down here yeah I don't and want a, a little bit of conjecture I don't want that he might have written a score from a film in Russia and then they went you know buy a synthesizer oh and maybe he maybe he found a Russian lover who went I want to back you I want to mm. buy you all the synths you want and then he just took all his synths and ran back to Nigeria. Possibly. Now, that's not true. Because I just made it up. Hope, hope, yeah. Because he made me make yeah, it up. Hopefully. Now, back in Nigeria, he's making this mad funk, soul, almost dance music. With this, He, he recorded in a studio that is now a primary school. And he has some absolutely incredible songs over about maybe a 10-year period. He's got songs like Fantastic Man, which will appear on a different podcast that I'm going to... We'll be doing my car. Will we be doing my car? We'll be doing uh, Well. With all the guests. Well, yeah. Um, the reason Points, I, ladies What I'm saying is, the reason I didn't pick Fantastic Man, which is my favourite song by William, is because it's going to appear on a different one for a different reason. Mm. He's got Atomic Bomb. Now, then just Radio Silence, which is the, the kind of common theme where... It's best album. Radio Silence. Yeah. There's nothing. It's it's, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's so, so bleak. Yeah. It's actually so forward thinking. It's fantastic. <laughs> No, listen, let's skip ahead to the music label, Luaka Bop. Mm-hmm. This is David Bourne's yeah. label. This is how I heard about him. Yeah. Well, this is so, let's be honest. Yeah. 99.9%. We're two yeah. fucking Irish lads. This is the only way we're hearing about Two lads. saps. I think the Luaka Bop are some of the people that put out those Nigerian funk uh, compilations that we were talking about earlier. I think they started kind of doing some of that. Mm, could be. So, they went, okay, we found some of his stuff. We would like to do an album of just William Onivier. So, we need to find him to do mm. that. We got away with a few things and we threw him on a few compilations and we got away with that, whatever. So, they found him and they called him up and said, eh, we would like to release just an album of your own stuff. And he went, eh, I'm a devout Christian now. Absolutely no interest really? in any of this. The, the comparisons between him and the guy we mentioned earlier, Lewis, are striking mm. so do you remember like someone found his stuff yeah went to him he said he wasn't interested I'm into God now I'm into God now same as Lewis mm. below from Canada it's actually striking some of the stuff mm. now there's a slightly there's a couple of stories about William on Bjorn that were about like they weren't crazy ropey or anything they were just he was incredibly difficult to work with from other people other recording artists yeah. in the in the in Nigeria at the time, they 
if you watch the documentary that's on YouTube, just type in it. It's called Fantastic Man. They don't want to, you can tell that they don't want to talk shit about him. Yeah. But they try and put forward that yeah. he was a difficult character. Yeah, they're putting the idea across. And one of the lads you can tell reminds me of someone like you who goes, you know what, I'll tell you a little story about him. Yeah, come on. Yeah. He goes, there's apparently there's a story about, do you remember we were talking about Lewis didn't pay his check to yeah. Edward Colliver? Apparently some lad did a little bit of work on William Moneybearer's album and didn't get paid, so he went up to his gaff and William pulled an old pistol on him. Really? He goes, I got off my property, pop you in the head. So apparently he was a bit of a fucking rough dude. Yeah. So there's a hard shot. Just a slight, a slight, a character. He's only a character. Yeah. He's only a character. Right. Now this is just a rumor. So yeah. I'm just stating that as just a rumor. Yeah. And the guy in the documentary just states that as a rumor as well. But it fits into apparently his quite difficult mannerisms, mm. so to speak. So David Bourne finally does get in contact with him. Even though he refuses a lot of phone calls to him, I'm Christian now. And he did also, like Lewis as well, release a lot of Christian albums, religious albums as well. These two characters are very same inter- person. intertwined. They could be the same person apart from uh, thousands, ge- geography and race. Thousands of kilometers. Geography and race. Yeah. Would be the major players in that. Mm. that uh, <laughs> quite important. <laughs> quite important. So, Luaka Bop and... David Bourne's label after a load of hassle including getting uh, there's a Nigerian blogger who's part of the documentary called uh, Uchenna Ikoni he contacted him he contacted William Onibior and said right this company wants to release some of your stuff and apparently he said it was one of the most difficult ordeals in his entire life trying to get him to convince him to even release that this dude is full on Christian now at this stage Mm. going absolutely no interest in any of the stuff I did before now the stuff the, the the music itself it wasn't like it's not like Wasp remember when Wasp where Blackie Lawless went, yeah. it was like oh I can't sing this song about fucking yeah. fucking like a beast I feel bad about the stuff I said before but the music beast. itself wasn't uh, particularly outrageous in terms of like controversy or anything like that so anyway it's kind of sketchy on how it happens but they release the album Who Is William Onibure yeah and this is the 2013, I think, album. And it, they released, finally, like, all the compilations they did, they just got him on his own on a full album. I think it's, like, it's nearly, it's over 70 minutes. Fuck. It's like a Tool album. Mm. But of Nigerian funk. Mm. It's probably better than... That's a different story. <laughs> That's a different... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they release... They released this album to absolutely rave reviews and that's when I heard about it. In mm. No, I didn't hear it in 2013. I'd say maybe a couple of years after that. Mm. Like we're talking, like he was on like um, Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, yeah. He, they couldn't get William to play live. Hmm. They couldn't get him to even speak a single word about the music. They hmm. just, apparently they just got the signature. So maybe what I think, maybe, maybe make me make another story now. Mm. Give you the money to this church or something like that. Mm. Go for it. Do it, whatever. So what David you make Bourne, a contribution if you show up or yeah. give, give us it. So David Bourne Talking Heads starts the Atomic Bomb Band. Now Atomic Bomb was William's first big song. Yeah. So he starts a band that goes around the world pretty much doing his songs. Ooh. Now I don't like the fact that David Bourne signed them yeah. in a Nigerian accent. Ooh. It's real fucking awkward, man. Yeah. I can do I can do his accent better than David Bourne can. Probably. Can we do it? Yeah. So the song is called good name yeah. and the lyrics are fucking brilliant 
and I don't mean this in some sort of like condescending fucking little stop protecting yourself give it to me <laughs> do you have them written down no all right. no I know the song off by heart the okay, whole song right, 10 right, minutes of it because right. the same lyric repeat over and over again good name is better than silver and gold <laughs> and nobody 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 can buy my good name oh my god alright then he goes then he goes I was transported then he goes do you have a good name do you have a good name I have a good name now I'm not doing an Adrian accent so don't give me <laughs> shit over this I'm doing William Arnabiar's accent <laughs> So fuck you if you think I'm fucking doing some sort of fucking dirty racist shit. I'm not. I'm doing his accent, right? <laughs> My whole life. My he's whole really life. soft-spoken. Of course. But like the dude's rhythms were incredible. Like he's so many layers of synth. Do you have a good name? Do you have a good name? I have a good name. Now, according to all of his mates, he did not he particularly have a fantastic name. Yeah. Pistol pulling. So, listen... They performed on, I think it was Jimmy Fallon. Even mm. Jimmy Fallon wore, like, William Olympiar wore a cowboy hat in a lot of his uh, his album covers. So even they got like Jimmy Fallon to wear the cowboy really? hat. Um, David Bourne from Talking Heads was doing it, wearing the cowboy hat. And it was almost like, now I, I, I honestly think this wasn't some sort of weird cash in. I think David Bourne was thinking, how do I get his music out as effectively as I can without without him playing them live. Yeah. So he did it live. He think he, I think he was playing some big, big venues. Well, it's David Bourne. He's going to play a big venue. Watch the Jimmy Fallon, watch the Jimmy Fallon thing uh, on Fantastic Man. They do a cover of his song Fantastic Man and it's really awkward. I believe. I it's believe you. It's incredibly, incredibly fucking awkward. I believe watch you. Watch the two keyboard players trying to hold it together. It's just real awkward. Listen, I don't think he ever did any interviews and he died two years ago. Really? Yeah, he died two years ago as a man of God and any interview, slight interview over the phone he gave, he gave a little tiny interview over the phone to possibly the record label where he said, listen, whatever you're talking about, just I want you to know that God is good, God is great, God look after you. All that bullshit. Just torturing people. I have a funny feeling as a skeptic and this ties into the Lewis thing. If you disavow all of your back catalogue to yeah. go with Jesus you might have done some fucking yeah. weird shit you've done some dodgy stuff yeah. you've done some dodgy shit yeah. now that's you absolutely can take that with a pinch of salt what I'm saying I'm a very cynical person mm. but there's something in the history something is but listen let's just talk about the music again his music stands for itself have a quick listen to William on a BR if you like it one of the people on the listener submissions number two put a Nigerian funk song in he mm. might know that's when we that's when I was decided I wanted to definitely do some of it, yeah. Nigerian funk and you touched on it earlier as well so that is realistically all I have about William Onibior and uh, he died a man of God with some absolute bangers mm. and that's the bottom line here's your last one took him to hell with him did he go well did he go to hell he did yeah well, I, like, this is the weird thing. If someone was in Ireland, like, let's say, if someone in Ireland went to touch on God, I'd rail on them. Yeah. But there's something a bit different about some that other side of the country where I don't really feel like railing yeah. on them. Let them have it. Let them have it. Right, last if one. If that was Jim Carr going uh, fucking full yeah, God, forget it. I'd be all like, yeah. Two barrels. Fucking yeah. two barrels on you. Uh, last one. I picked the Vibrators. Oh, so the Vibrators are one of the first wave of English punk 
kind of band. They formed in 1976. And I bet I'd fucking hate them. Uh, to, to, I'm going to be honest with you. There's there's not really a lot to hate. Um, they don't do they do, 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 do oi oi. No. Do they do a uh, slightly touching on racist stuff? No. Oh, cool. Do they do um, gimmicky, bristly kind of uh, brightony kind of stuff? <sighs> It's hard. listen. It's hard to describe. There's been so many different kind of iterations of the band. I mean, the, again, I'm sure you like the Clash, and I might like them. They, they, they are again. They're, they're kind of clashy. They're not as uh, in depth as the Clash. Um, they're a force wave band. I've heard of the name, and I haven't heard a single song with them, which ties in perfectly to the fact that they probably are a lost. Their biggest song is probably maybe Automatic Lover. Um, which and, and the song and their boy a band called Vibrators. They, yeah. Are mad into solo fucking. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Or other people's solo fucking, because they were all lads. And, um. Have you never touched yourself, girl? Not with a vibrator. Really? No. Really? No. Okay. Too complicated. Uh, I mean, too complicated. Uh, me, me, too complicated. Me neither. <coughs> too, there's too. No, obviously, I fucking have. But too, literally too many moving parts there. I'm just saying, it looks like it could be a bit fun. I don't know. <laughs> fucking, I don't know. Branch out. We'll do a whole podcast on that. So, uh. Well, they've, absolutely, they've you're absolutely right. Imagine absolutely being a man that buys an entire vibrator. It's not going to happen. Well, for me, it's not going to happen. <laughs> you buying a vibrator at your age? No, I'm halfway no. done. I'm nearly dead. Like, yeah. like it's literally all downhill. Imagine from like now. the actual vibrating thing for for me at this age. I'm not saying about men, lads, work away. I'm just saying for me at for this age. For you. What's the point? Absolutely not. Oh, I'm just trying it. to get somebody to look at me at this stage. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, okay. Like, well, you've got some good reviews on the old. Uh, <laughs> I have, yeah. <laughs> Doing well. Anyway, let's bang through this. 19 past members <clears throat> formed in 1976. Um, the song I picked is called Disco in Moscow. I think it's their best song. Um, it's also their possibly their most lost song. It's not really on an album. It's on a couple of compilations to do with the band. It was also the last single they ever released. <coughs> so they've been releasing albums on a on a on a. They're still going, and they I think they dropped one member years ago, and they, they're continuing as a three piece. But uh, they, they drop a new album every couple of years. They're still uh, going. They're still kind of going. Yeah, I've seen them. That about, is a good vibrator. I see. Yeah, you just bang some new batteries into it every sure now and again, so. chap. Keep it clean. Um, yes, you do. You get one of them wet wipes to it, lad. One of them uh, antibacterial wet wipes. Anyway, quick, their just, last album. Just before we yeah, go on, one of the oldest dildos ever was bought. I seen something like this on the Sean from uh, Sex Shop. From Sex Shop, about it. Yeah. I was actually on a podcast recently, Johnny's podcast. Yeah, yeah. To stop the trope, you. And I was talking about one of the oldest. Dildos, not vibrators. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's absolutely no way this yeah. is vibrating without no. the use of a hand. Without putting maggots in it or something. It was bought. <laughs> oh, God. Loads of maggots. Why did you do that? I don't know. People are into stuff. It was, uh, was uh, auctioned and bought. Sound about bought, it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's money. She made a few bob. Well, she made a few, but she owns it now. Oh, yeah, but she bought it. So it obviously cost a few bob, like. Yeah. Oh, fair so, play. So, uh, I met Shauna. Shauna gave me a goodie bag of mad shit that still sits in a drawer lovely. in my house, yeah. I've done a, a talk with Sean uh, with her one night in here. Anyway, uh, Jesus Christ! Oh, I fucked you up. You fucked me up. Yeah, that's Vivaldi, okay. So you're, you're allowed. You're allowed. Um, Lads, if you're still listening, you might be fucking drunk by this stage because we could be like at eight o'clock in the day. The you're like, atoms. Oh, there's yeah. actual gargle atoms <laughs> just coming through the microphone. Do you know who I know? We're drunk. The flies have left. There's no fly. <laughs> one of us ate it. It's gone. I didn't even know. <laughs> 
when I was eight the floor. There was two flies buzzing around the start of this podcast. They have lived their entire life. <laughs> They've had, they've probably had kids and died during this podcast. Oh, I'm fucking sweating. I hope you're still listening. If you're still listening now, fucking congratulations. Legend. Absolute f- fair play. Let me do this. They're probably the Patreon people. Yeah, it has to be. Oh, okay. 19 past members started in 1976. The song I picked Disco Moscow. Disco Moscow, I think, is their best song. It's also the said last. That. I know, I'm getting there. It's the last single they released. Um, and they released it in 1980. So a single by itself. That was it. They put an album out in 2017. That was the last one where they got a couple of guys from the oldest first dirt. two albums. They're all the stored. I seen them a couple of years ago and they were fucking super, but there was nobody else there. Literally nobody else there. So uh, the guitarist was a guy called John Ellis who uh, went on to record a lot of stuff for Peter Gabriel. Did he? Yeah. Uh, he ended up joining the Stranglers as well and he played with the Stranglers for years. I like the Stranglers. Yeah. So he, like the Stranglers? he wrote a lot of stuff for Peter Gabriel, recorded a lot of stuff for Peter Gabriel and joined the, uh, the Stranglers. Now, the reason the vibrators, the vibrators are possibly more famous. Here, okay, little side note. If you're interested in punk music, you absolutely know who the vibrators are. Yeah, well, I, I'm not, but I still heard them. That's, yeah, that goes right. to show. They're, yeah. they're just one of those names because they've been around for so long. The vibrators are possibly more famous for giving the band Stiff Little Fingers their name. Wow, okay. The vibrators on the first album had a song called Stiff Little Fingers. That's right. That's, that's how I know them. Yeah. That, now, finally, I realise now right. I know where I know them from. And they got the name from a TV show called The Invaders which was on in the late 60s, which is about uh, a bunch of aliens who invaded Earth. And the only way that you could, the only way you knew that there were aliens is because their little fingers didn't work. Right? No, I'm listening. That's what made me laugh. You Stop. Okay. So they got the name uh, from the TV show, The Invaders, it was called. And uh, they found out about who the aliens were in this television show because their little fingers didn't move. That was the only give giveaway that the people were aliens. So the vibrators wrote the song Stiff Little Fingers. The band Stiff Little Fingers that most people will have heard of because they, they're very, very important and they're probably more important than the vibrators in terms of output and influence but they got it all from the vibrators. Um, that's not far off all I have to say about it. Um, I always liked the vibrators from the, I heard the song Automatic Lover when I was younger. I don't know where the fuck I heard it. Um, I always liked the, I actually had, had the song Stiff Little Fingers by the vibrators in as my choice and I changed it to, to Disco in Moscow because it's my favorite song. And, uh, just well, the fact that it's works not, into songs, but that, that Disco in Moscow itself, I don't believe, I could be wrong. Um, but I don't believe it was actually on an album. I think it was just a single release. It was A side and B side, and that's it. Um, so I, I own the seven inch. I bought the seven inch years ago, and I have the first couple of Vibrators albums, and it's not on there. So I could be wrong, but they had a little. Uh, Formed in seventy six, I think the first album came out in seventy seven, alongside every other fucking punk band in the world, and then they're still going in two thousand seventeen. So that's a good solid run. Like that's still a good solid own hair and teeth. Uh, they look like it when I seen them. They look like where it when is, I seen where them. Where was that? I seen them at Fibbers of all places. Fibbers, yeah, about six. Seven I would years have ago. said, you know, every now and then me and you will go to a gig in what would have been the downstairs of the Mez now. D yeah. D two or the, the well, the Mez doesn't exist anymore anyway. Mm. 
Yeah. Remember we saw a few gigs over mm. the last few years that Umak put on. Umak are really fucking yeah. good. Tim was a good lad. Yeah, yeah that, like they, they really make a strong effort to put on some savage fucking gigs. We, yeah. we saw um, a few gigs that they did down in, in that venue and it doesn't matter if there's not that many people there, it will still look it's really still a good gig. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's why I thought maybe that when, might be where you saw I went them. To see, when I went to see Vibrators and Fearburst, there was maybe 20 people there. Maybe. Um, but I don't, to be honest with you, I think it could have been one of those gigs that just wasn't advertised super yeah. well. It just, it, it didn't fall into place. Um, you could probably do it now and because because nostalgia is a bigger factor than it was back then, yeah. it would probably work. Anyway, that's it. That was Lost Songs. That was a lot of stuff. I feel like I slightly, you know what? I, I knew I was going to sail through all I wanted to talk about, especially with Lewis and stuff like that and Father's Children. But I had a little note don't fuck up Cambodia. Don't fuck up Vivaldi. Mm. I feel like I let myself down slightly during both of them just because of the amount of gargle we've had tonight. There's been we, a fierce we, amount of points. And we still have another the reason, one The record. reason is this is our third podcast tonight. We have to mm. get a load of them in. You're hungry for them. You're hungry. You're starving. Especially after the Killers one. You're fucking is, loves the come kill. hungry for them fucking podcasts. You just loved the Killers one. You just loved it. They loved it, yeah. That was great. No, we, we had a lot of fun. There. Well... No, that much fun then, especially during that big Lord section. Yeah, but um, I would love to um, let you know that I meant more about the Cambodia than I, than I said. It's the way it goes. I literally loads of stuff down there. I even forgot to say. Listen, try, two lads trying our best. Um, so uh, before <laughs> we get on to the Patreon bullshit, I want to say that myself and Helmet are going to do a night together. We are doing. I, I do a club every month called Bazuzu. Which is not far off this podcast personified. Yeah, 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 actually. And uh, where it's just a mixed bag of everything. It's whatever I want to play, I get to play it. It's fun. So for the first time ever, I think me and you maybe have DJed once or twice together. I think it's literally twice. No, no, three times. You reckon? Yeah. I can't Um, remember. We done Banger Mania. I think it might have been the first one. Banger Mania, we did um, some sort of thing in here before together. And then we did... uh, we did, did a Club defenders? Hell. No, we got. You I, got I got you into Club Hell. Yeah. I did a Defenders one. You don't yeah. defend that's three. With vinyl, yeah. Yeah, but it, it, it never had a point to See, it. I'm, ve- I'm, I'm very, very in, in demand. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I just have a solid job on a Saturday and it's yeah. very hard for me to take that night off. So we're going to do October the 26th I'm gonna, yeah. in the Thomas House. And I'm absolutely living for it right It's going to be great fun. It's gonna be, we're, um, we're actually going to pick a lot of songs, even some of the ones that you've chosen during the listener mm-hmm. submissions. Yep. We're going to pick some of them. Um, um, we're not going to be talking. In there fact, will be no talking. There's a good, chance, there's a good chance I w- might be wearing a mask and just sinking whiskey. I have a couple of uh, masks. I'm going to wear a mask. Uh, yeah, so that's October the 26th in the Thomas House in Dublin. It's free. It starts at 10 p.m. and it's going to go till about three. Uh, Pursues you lost art crossover. We'll just it's 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 rare that we get to do stuff together. It is. Um, we're, yeah, DJing. We, we're very fucking. We're busy. We stuff. We stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a. I DJ disgracefully current chart music on a Saturday. You're and taking a night off. And I have, I to have fun. I'm living for it. I'm absolutely living for it. Have I fun. can't wait for it. So if you want to see me, we want to see me I'll be in a mask, just getting <clears> absolutely <throat> astoucious. I bought a big pair of uh, glasses to have an LED screen built into them. Oh shit, I and can't you do it. I just want to buy a mask yeah. with all the little uh, yeah. neon stuff I've around it. That, yeah. The reason I'm going to do that is because I just feel like I want to get so hammered, I don't want to. 
anyone to see how stroke victim I look. That I have, have that drunk. I have the first twenty bulls rehearsal in about four years. The day after, so oh, I can't wait to get you. I'm gonna have up. the best time. Uh, as always, you can support us on patreon.com forward slash lost art podcast. Uh, you will not be alone. There's a bunch of people now. You don't feel like don't feel like you're being singled out. You won't be the first person, um, and I mean, you won't if you be the last. Loud and you liked it, you know what, man? Like, swear to God, right? I can't afford to pay for you know this new Facebook trend of every time it's your birthday. Don't give me a present. Yeah. Just give me something towards the children. Yeah, I there. wish you could just set that to yourself. Just do that to yourself. <laughs> exactly. Now, I understand. I understand that you can't give money to fucking everything, and yeah. that includes this podcast. Yeah, if you can't. Maybe a quick share. However, I don't like doing cap in hand. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, oh, if yeah. you like it, you don't even have to write it and just share it and yeah. say nothing. That's all. You, you don't even have to go to Patreon. That's very much appreciated. But yeah. you know what? You'll do us a real solid favor. Shares, comments, Sharing just likes, uh, reviews. It just, just to let us know that this is going somewhere and we really appreciate that as well. Yeah. yeah listen, realistically, we're halfway done with our life at best. Oh, um, right? definitely forward. And that. we are getting, we're only getting started in terms of uh, letting people know that we're out there. So, Everything stopped working. You can, um, Jesus Christ, uh, chemically help us uh, by buying stuff. And um, no, you can help us out. So please, throw us a few quid. It's five euro a month. Or five dollars a month. It's not even five euro. Yeah. Five dollars like a month. That's worth fucking nothing. Um, but again, you can't do it. Share, comment, tell your mates about it. The stuff you can do for free if you can't. For real. That's, absolutely a, that's appreciate all we're asking for. Free stuff is perfectly fine. Let us know if there's a part of the podcast that you particularly liked and it might spark us on to do more of that uh, particular topic. That's all. Topic, yeah. That is all. So thank you. Thank you. We'll see you again next week.